were the January 10th Franklin School Committee meeting. Meetings are recorded by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29, as well as recorded by Franklin Matters. Any individual who also wishes to record this meeting must notify the chair in accordance with Massachusetts General Law, Chapter 38, Section 20F. Happy New Year, everyone. Um, all right, first order of business is our Pledge of Allegiance student. So this evening, we have Brady Miller, who is an eighth grader at Amy Sullivan Middle School. He is always so kind and polite to his teachers and peers. You can count on Brady giving a compliment or wishing you a wonderful day anytime you walk by him. He truly makes our school a better place by his positive attitude and hard work. Brady is an older brother to Bradley, also a student at Annie Sullivan. Brady loves his teachers, especially Miss Hall, because he loves math class and learning about numbers. He truly loves to learn and is excited to go to Franklin High School. He wants to be a writer when he gets older, when he gets older hopefully for a TV show. Brady, if you wouldn't mind coming up to the microphone and leading us in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you very much, Brady. You and your family can head on out. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you. Next, um, as is customary, we will pause for a moment of silence. Thank you. Review of agenda. Agenda looks okay to everyone. Payment of bills, Mr. McNeil. All right, payroll's all set. Next, we have our FHS student reps. Welcome back, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year you too. Hey everyone, um, I'm Sid, class of 2024 Vice President. Um, I'm going to give you a few updates about sports and music at the high school currently. Um, in terms of our sports report for today, uh, boys basketball is at Sharon today, and the girls are hosting uh, Sharon at home. Actually, right now they're playing. Um, boys basketball is still undefeated after their huge win against Thailand. They look to keep that up tonight. Um, girls hockey is at the vet tonight against Algonquin. Um, boys and girls swim had huge wins over Thailand last night. Um, and then both the boys and girls track teams also both are undefeated after their wins over KP last week. And they will face Thailand this Thursday at the New Balance Center. And I want to give a quick congrats to Sarah Dumas for qualifying for nat nationals for the pentathlon. And she did that over winter break at the holiday challenge. And you can kind of get this idea that like all of the our sports teams are in the thick of the seasons. And it's a, it's a fun time for all of them. And then in terms of music, jazz band will have, be having their first concert of the year on January 18th at the Franklin High School Auditorium. Um, and then the 24 students will be performing at Mechanics Hall this Saturday in Worcester for the district concert. And to all these students had an audition for the concert for the districts, which was a very prestigious band. 
Uh, hello everyone, uh, my name is Ahan Chetty. I am the class president for the class of 2024 at Franklin High School. Um, some updates that we have for our class is we just had a bang cookie fundraiser where we sold cookies, uh, raised money, and people that raised sold over $500 worth of cookies got a free prom ticket. Um, so it's great stuff. Uh, our prom is on May 5th, uh, 2023 at Lombardo's in Randolph, Massachusetts. Um, we're having many more fundraisers planned um, before that event just to fundraise it and keep, you know, bringing in money so that we can get that price for each ticket lower. Um, and then every other Friday we are still having our prom committee meetings where we're planning logistics, decorations, transportation, all that good stuff. Seniors currently have their calendar raff raffle going on. Um, sales are closed, but right now they're just drawing winners throughout the month. And for the whole school, right now, Math NHS has peer tutoring for math. Um, this is a great opportunity for any students that if they ever want to just get a quick clarification or they want someone just to review a topic with them, they can just reach out to uh, the Math National Honor Society and they'll schedule a time either before school, during school, if they have a free period, or even after school in the high school's academic learning center. And it's just a great time for students to be able to learn with each other and get further clarification if they want it. Furthermore, um, Franklin High School DECA pa uh, participated in the district competition this past Thursday. Role plays went on Wednesday. Uh, DECA is one of the biggest clubs at Franklin High School. We had over 263 um, students participating and 85 actually advanced onto the state competition, so congratulations to them. Panther Pride Night is coming up on February 2nd for 8th graders. It's back this year. Um, it's just a great idea, um, a great time for 8th graders that are looking forward to going to the high school and want to see what it's more about, what they have to have to what they have to offer in the classroom, what they have to have to what they have to have to offer outside the classroom. Uh, so just to get a better idea of what life is like at FHS. Then juniors are starting to have meetings with their guidance counselors um, in school. These meetings are just to talk about what we want to do after high school, whether it's college, go to work, um, and they're just really helping us and we really appreciate everything that they do for us. And finally, uh, the next SAT at Franklin High School is on March 11th. Many juniors are registered for that. Uh, deadlines should be closing soon. so. Anyone that is interested in signing up should do so soon. Okay. Um, so I'll just go down. Any questions, comments? Do you have any questions? Yeah. I do have a question. Yeah. Did you say pentathlon? Yeah, I did. She qualified for the pentathlon. Can you remind me what that is? Because I'm sure I know. I just forget. So it's almost like um, a multi-event thing. So uh, athletes will participate in five different events, one throwing, one long distance hurdles, a sprinting event, and a long jump. And they will get points based on like where they place and how fast or how long they jump. And based on that, they'll have a qualifying stand for nationals. And this was actually her first time ever competing in a pentathlon. <laughs> and she did it like on a first try and qualified for nationals. Wow. Thank you. That's pretty Thanks, guys. Have a great night. We'll see you again soon. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. <laughs> All right, Dr. Uh, 
Thank you. 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 Um, I, you've already heard about Panther Pride Night, which is scheduled for February 2nd, and it is a great opportunity. Um, I'm glad that the students were able to promote that for the school. It's great for incoming um, eighth, eighth graders who are incoming freshmen to learn more about what's happening in school and around school um, as an opportunity. Um, on Friday, January 13th, we'll have a half day for students, and it'll be professional development day for our teachers. The teachers will engage in a variety of professional learning activities uh, across all levels in the afternoon. Elementary teachers will continue with their science of reading professional development. At the middle level, teachers, teachers will continue to work to prepare towards student-led conferences. And at the high school, our teachers will continue to collaborate within departments on the curriculum development with a specific focus on the portrait of our graduate skills. This will be facilitated by our department heads and Next meeting, I'm planning to have Mr. Hanna come with his team to, to share more information about the program of studies mm -hmm. um, with everyone, and he'll also, uh, some of the PD that's re related at the high school, will link to that and the work that they're doing with regard to that. So without stealing his thunder, you can expect more on January 24th. Just health reminders, I sent an email as we returned back from winter break. Um, during the height of travel and gatherings, it was felt like the right time to just remind people around what our current health and safety practices are, but just remind folks um, so that we can really maximize our ability to keep people healthy uh, and, and in school. So uh, masks, while not required, we did say that we want to support uh, individuals who wish to wear masks, those um, also who are facing a higher, um, higher risk of COVID-19 or flu um, or, or any of the respiratory viruses that are out there um, and they'd be supporting that choice. We still are providing masks to folks um, in the school. Um, monitoring symptoms, I asked families to just continue to monitor the children's health for symptoms and uh, keep them home if they're sick and test if appropriate. And then also um, I shared a link to some of the call-in procedures around that um, mm -hmm. link to the handbooks. Um, test kits, the uh, Office of Health and Human Services had provided te test kits before Thanksgiving break, you may recall. Um, they did not provide any before the last break. However, um, if families are in need of test kits, they should reach out through their school secretary or their school main office if they are in need of any um, to request more. Um, hand hygiene, always a good practice to wash hands, sanitize. I know our custodians are aware and have been keeping up with the hand sanitizer um, and soap um, in that regard. And then finally, we have ventilation, as you know. We have those portable units, but we also have the UVGI, which we've all come to know that acronym, um, around air filtration. So those are just a few pieces that I would just like to re reiterate for our community. Um, the next piece is exciting from the Franklin Public Library. They're offering free English adult literacy tutoring for any adult in our community who's wishing to learn English. They have uh, a flyer that we'll put out um, with a QR code, but basically this will be available. We will be pushing this out to families. I've shared it um, with um, our, some of our directors as well so that we can get this information into the hands but we'll be sure to push this out as well but I thought it was timely it came through today and I thought it'd be great to share tonight that that's what they're offering for adults and I went into their website and it talks about um, not only assisting with English language development but applying for jobs um, making appointments with medical professionals helping with like practical communication that you'll need to kind of navigate 
an environment that's primarily English-speaking, which is Massachusetts and the United States. Okay. The uh, final note is we're pleased to share that Franklin has been awarded a genocide education grant for $31,320. I'm sorry, $31,320. Through this funding, we'll have the opportunity to expand our access to meaningful genocide education for all of our middle and high school students. Um, in the awarded letter from the governor and lieutenant governor, um, they talk about by engaging with challenging histories and critically analyzing the lessons of the past, students will build the skill they need to recognize challenges of injustice in the future. You may recall uh, the Massachusetts House of Representatives passed the Genocide Education Act, uh, which was filed by our own state rep, Jeff Roy. I'd like to thank Dr. Timothy Frazier for submitting this proposal. He works as our social studies and English uh, director um, for the district, a curriculum director, and he uh, put that proposal forward through the Department of Elementary and Secondary Ed. And in the proposal, he had to provide a clear scope for the learning opportunities for students. Um, so this funding will allow us to create, uh, work with teachers on collaborating meaningful lessons and components of genocide, human rights, historical context. And the funding allows for a partnership with Facing History, which is a curriculum series that they provide um, that will be able to bring some professional development to our teachers and the opportunity um, to present to students and possibly look to provide more information uh, connected to survivors of, of these um, types of atrocities that occurred throughout the world. Um, as I scan, I see Mr. Vaca in the back. Um, uh, I was going to say a teacher, but you happen to be here, Rob, so I'll say that um, discussions have already begun um, with um, some of our teachers, um, Rob primarily right now, but to expand around not just the grant, but the idea of genocide ed, um, and Rob is a, is a middle school history teacher. So that concludes my report, my update for tonight. Thank you. Yeah. My only comment is a, is a question. I'm excited about the grant, um, and I think it's funny that um, Rob happened to be here. Um, it's not a plant. That was a Oh, I know, I know. He, he comes regularly. But I, I, if I'm allowed to, I'd love to. I know that Rob's worked um, many years. 20 plus. With uh, genocide projects in his classrooms and education. And if he doesn't mind fielding a question for me, could he do that? I would just love to know like, if, if he could say, this is what we should do with this money. Like, what, what, what would he say? I, I'm willing to come to the microphone if you sure. want to. Okay. Um, I don't have anything prepared, but it's a great question. Um, I would have worn my tuxedo tonight. <laughs> um, uh, first of all, Happy New Year to everybody, and um, hello, Franklin. Um, I, I'm very excited about the grant, and I, as as um, Lucas mentioned, we met Friday after school over at Horseman um, with Tim, Joe Barca, and a couple of, of, of building administrators, and. <clears throat> I think it's exact, to answer your question, it's exactly what we should be doing. Um, I'm very excited that teachers are going to get, will have the opportunity to get directly involved with this process. Um, I will share with you all tonight what I said to Tim on Friday, that we already have somewhat of a good base in our district with what we've done at Horace Mann. And what makes me really excited about all this is I really believe that we can be not only a model for the rest of our district, but our district in 
turn be a model for the Commonwealth. And um, that's what excites me. And um, we had a great initial conversation. Um, the idea that we're teaming with basing history in ourselves, I've done a lot of work with them. Phenomenal. So phenomenal. And, um, and it's, it's definitely the right direction to go. So. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Buck. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but you're a teacher. Okay. You can handle it. <laughs> That's okay. That's all. Okay. Um, yeah, really just, you know, thank you for highlighting uh, the grant. Uh, you know, please pass on the thanks to Dr. Frazier uh, for the work that went behind it. You know, as, as we all know, you know, there's never enough uh, funding to, you know, to do every initiative that we're looking to do. And, and grant writing, grant proposals, it's just a, a fantastic avenue. So it's, it's wonderful to, to hear it, uh, that, you know, obviously it's being done. I think it was just a couple of meetings ago that we were talking about this uh, for, I think, what Dr. Rogers had um, submitted as well. Yep. And so I'm always great to hear that that's uh, an avenue that we continue to pursue. So thank you very much. I'm excited to see what uh, where we go with this. Great. Thank you. Uh, so thank you for the update. Uh, the part that I really loved hearing about was the student-led conferences at the middle level. I mean, I think it exemplifies the growth and the, the change in teaching. And because I mean, when I went to school, there were no student-led conferences. I mean, it was the teacher's responsibility to do that. Now imagine the teacher having to teach the student the curriculum and also teach them about how to present this and make them an active participant in their learning. Um, it just shows just the the amount of change that has happened and just the more work that's on the teacher's plate today. So, uh, so thank you for doing that. I mean, I'm looking forward to hearing from my son as well to see how he's engaged in this. And I think this will help him be an active participant versus a child that's just you know following what needs to be done and, and just listening to the teacher. You know, um, so that that's great. And I hope um, all of middle school parents can, can enjoy this experience as well, or at least see how the, the change has come from from when they were in school. Um, regarding the genocide education grant, um, is this something that we're starting to use the funding this year, or is, is planning happening this year and which will be used in future years? Like what's the- My understanding is the, the letter said that we were going to be awarded the grant. It did, did you did you see the funding um, yeah. release date? It's, it's the award notices for the rest of this fiscal year from the date of award through the end of this fiscal year and through the following fiscal year, so the end date is uh, June of 24. Okay, great, thank you. Um, so yes, definitely looking forward to that and just seeing what else we can do to improve our curriculum. It really is, as Mr. Vaca had said, um, really making us a model for other communities to copy and, and really um, emulate. So, so thank you for all the work that's being done. Um, everybody, it's a, a team effort to get us where we're at and, and really give us the funding that we may not have in our normal day-to-day -day budget. So, um, so thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for this update. Yeah, it's uh, exciting to hear all these things. I think it's great that we have the Panther Pride Night. It sounds like a great resource for the um, rising freshman class. Um, they get, get to learn a little bit about uh, FHS life. I'm also very excited to hear about um, the Franklin Public Library offering these adult um, English literacy um, tutoring courses. Um, I think it's wonderful that we're offering these resources to members of our community um, that can use them and that we're doing our best as a community as opening, inclusive, and welcoming to, um, to all. And I'm also going to echo sentiments from my colleagues and the extent of the um, genocide education grant. It's so important that we learn from the dark parts of human history so that they do not get repeated. So thank you very much. Okay.
Yes, I agree with all that's been said. And I think um, to piggyback on what um, Al said about the student-led conferences, I think, and I was talking to my son about this because he was a little bit nervous. And I was like, you know what, buddy, it's really, I think it's commendable and important that especially at this young age that you're learning about things that are strengths for you and things that are a little bit harder and sort of like talking about them and talking about them with other people. Because we as adults have to do that, right. you know, just in, in employment or in relationships or just as humans in the world, right? And so I was like, it's just so exciting. And I think like that really, you know, I can see sort of like the link to the portrait of the graduate there because it's, um, it's I think that's just excited. And I'm, I'm a little nervous too as a parent to go in, but I just, I can't wait. Like, I'm just gonna like pinch his cheeks and like, you know, like I'm, I'm the embarrassing mom. Yeah. But um, anyways, and as, as about the grant, just congratulations to everybody who worked on that. And I think, you know, when we've been talking about sort of, um, common experiences at all schools in Franklin, that's always been important to me that, you know, no matter where your, your kiddo goes to school, you want to make sure that they have that um, robust education in all subjects. And I know that we've been doing a lot of great, um, you know, genocide education in certain pockets. Sure. And, and it hasn't necessarily been um, across all, you know, horizontally aligned across um, all schools necessarily. And so the, the, the fact that it could be you know, all students in Franklin getting getting these great you know lessons and um, engaging in these discussions and these thought processes is it's like just really exciting. And to have the money behind it to boot is just you know a bonus, really. So I'm I'm looking forward to hearing more updates um, around that. It's great. The only student-led conference I did was the night before a conference where I tried to explain to my parents. <laughs> You know, so I was leading, I was leading conferences yeah. back in the uh, in the eighties, but that's fine. I was thinking I would love to spring it on my students. Like, oh, no, 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 have the parents come in. No, show them everything you've been doing for me. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, moving along to guest presentations, we have next the Greece field trip. Yes, we're excited to welcome Miss Holly Cullinan. Um, who is a history teacher at Franklin High School. She's here on behalf of her partner, Courtney Riley, who is also uh, working at Franklin High School as a math teacher, and um, Holly, is she couldn't be here tonight, but Holly is prepared to share. So just to set expectations, tonight is about presenting um, information about the Greece trip, fielding any questions, and then um, um, looking for some support, and then you can expect in future meetings for an official approval um, process to consent, okay? And so, um, again, I'm a ninth grade world history teacher at Franklin High School, thank you, and this will be my first time planning a trip like this. I know that Courtney Riley has been on trips with this specific company before, and she and I are both going as chaperones to the upcoming trip through this tour company to Spain this April. So we were excited to kind of get the experience to work with the company this year while we plan our trip for the following year to gain experience and trust with this company going forward. So this trip specifically to Greece, she and I were very excited to put forward because it's different from the trip for Spain and there's no academic requirements, meaning you don't have to take X level of Spanish or be in certain history classes or anything like that. It is open to all students who are interested or are able to financially commit to it and that's something we can talk about in a little bit when we get to the finances piece but we liked the idea that it was 
a little bit more open to the student body and not limited to a language immersive experience, so it's a little bit more accessible. Oh, the company is EF Tours, Education First Tours, mm -hmm. and the high school has worked with them. Uh, I look at it as kind of like before COVID, because that was my first year here, mm -hmm. so it's kind of like the before and after. So we've worked with them before, and then there's an upcoming trip with them um, through the high school for this April. Uh, this slideshow was created by EF to sort of give a background to the touring company, what you can expect through working with them, and some of what they offer. So a lot of the introduction is sort of what they do, how they can support a district or a school, um, their expertise in this field. Again, of course, most importantly, their safety and sort of what they have available in any event. Uh, the itinerary for our specific trip, what the cost includes, what the cost is, different payment plans, all of that. So the why we travel piece is really kind of just why would we want to offer this opportunity to students. Uh, I myself did a program not through this program, but I did a very specific Spanish language school trip when I was in high school. And it was a lot more than just going to my language classes every day, but just the traveling. And I think that the more you're able to experience the world, the better it is that you kind of can find that interconnectedness. I know that even with the work with DEI and all of that, we're just kind of trying to broaden our experiences to understand more people and to give ourselves an idea of where we are in this world. And I think that travel is a great way for students to do that, especially at this time. So this is just some background on EF tours, um, kind of how long they've been working, where they are. I know that one of the their big selling points is that each group is constantly with a group leader from the company and then they within those different countries have their own networks as well in addition to that group leader. So this is their whole response thing and, and that's one of the first things they spoke to us about when we started having uh, meetings with them, uh, Courtney and I expressing interest in this tour and what it would look like planning it. Um, they've been incredibly helpful and then just really wanting to make us feel supported and also giving us the information when we were talking to different people at the high school and then moving to this step here to introduce the idea of this tour um, and of all that they offer. Um, incident responses, their health standards, all of the support for students as well as families while they're traveling and, and what can be expected there. So this is a breakdown of sort of everything. So. Uh, Courtney and I would be the group leaders, and then we have the consultant who we've been meeting with and sort of the ideas of planning, deciding which tour we're interested in, um, providing information like the slideshow that you're looking at, help with writing, even in collecting the information for the tour proposal that was submitted to you as well. All of those pieces, the support team, the directors, all of the kind of anybody that you could be to help with this and to make everyone feel comfortable and, and almost address any situation that could come up. Um, they're there and they're prepared for it and they have an excellent track record with helping with any kind of situation. Uh, we talked specifically about them getting information about, you know, especially with COVID as it is still part of our world even though we're talking about a little ways away, what that might look like if things were to change or somewhere to be sick, anything like that. They have protocols in place and, and supports. So 
this is something that we chose to include as the global travel protection. Um, it, it's helpful a lot. I mean, I know that especially domestically there have been a lot of flight interruptions and issues, so it's nice that they sort of build this in. Again, I'm, I'm not sure what the travel situation is going to be like when we go to Spain in April, let alone whenever this future tour might take place. We're looking like April 2024, so that could be very different, but they also offer different projections like the risk-free enrollment, things like that. So if students were interested and then something changed or whatever it may be, um, we want this to be a positive experience for students in whatever way they're able to engage with it. So if something comes up, we don't want this to be a, a burden for someone if they have to change last minute. And EF does a good job, I think, with having that prepared in there. So this is the specific tour that Courtney and I are interested in bringing students to. It is a few days in Athens where they are moving around and, and looking at different sites, um, historical as well as cultural there. And then students would be doing an island cruise around different Greek islands uh, where they would be staying on the boat, having meals and, and staying there for the night. But we would take day trips to the various islands in those areas, um, which I think is a great opportunity to interact with as many different people. And each of those islands, especially them being islands, would have you know, variations of culture, traditions, things like that, that I think would be very interesting for students to engage with. So this is some photographs from some of the different spots that they kind of popped in. So this would be in Delphi, where that would be one of the earlier stops over on the Greek mainland. I think it's a great opportunity for students to kind of see the culture there on mainland Greece and then have the opportunity to then check out the islands and see how it varies. I think there's another picture for mainland as well. Yes, so for Athens. And I was reading to sort of different responsibilities of chaperones while I was putting together the tour proposal. And there's a big emphasis on keeping communication families in the loop while they're abroad really using social media to share those with families who are at home and kind of capture those moments for students and, and help them stay engaged through that. So that's something that was listed as a potential support that chaperones could even do is just to kind of make sure they're engaging with families so that they know, you know, make sure they're seeing pictures of their kids every few days and that they're having fun and that they're supported there. So this is sort of the first part of the trip that's broken down. Um, for this specific tour. So a guided tour of Athens, taking a look at the Acropolis and then looking at the Plaka district, um, and then taking day trips, going to an olive farm, a guided tour of Delphi, and then we would be going on the cruise. So I think it's a really strong balance for students. There were different options with our destination in mind, one that focused primarily in Greece, but we liked the idea of them doing the boat tour and being able to engage with different parts of the Greek culture and how it's more than just like the mainland area and then being able to explore and see as much of that region while we're there as possible. Um, and then the second part of the tour be here. So lots of different islands, roughly one a day. Um, it's my understanding that we will be sailing between the islands at night, that would be most of the travel, and then we would be going on specific day trips while we're at each of those locations. So this is the breakdown of sort of what's included in that price. Um, 
a lot of those safety pieces, the airfare is covered, the hotels, um, which would be when we're staying in Athens, and then accommodation would be on the boat while we're doing the island cruise part. The tour director who is with us from EF, um, it is typically someone who is from the country we're visiting in and then would be fluent and would handle anything that we would need in terms of like if there was poor weather and we had to do something different with the island group, you know, kind of anything that would come up, they would be from that area, fluent in the languages and be able to help us navigate any situation. Um, the transportation, any itineraries, tours that are included, um, breakfast and dinner daily. Also for this one, uh, while we're on the boat, if we are on the boat for lunch, then that will be provided. If it's part of a day trip, then it wouldn't be. For a lot of the tours, they do not include lunch or snacks, but with the island moving, kind of navigating around, um, it was included on certain days. Um, I don't remember what the specific days were. The support team, the donation page is sort of tied into one of the options to help support students and families with an expense like this. Uh, and then kind of other pieces. So the things that students would have to cover on their own, passport, visa baggage fees, um, any kind of extra money that they would want. Lunches sometimes, which I was thinking over and I think it's a great opportunity for students to kind of have that personal time to make those decisions. You know, where did they want to go to lunch? Did they want to go with groups of friends or, um, you know, try out different restaurants while we're in different places because that's going to be kind of when we're out and about in the middle of taking a break from different day trips and things like that. So I like the idea of students being able to kind of have a little bit of controlled free time, go and eat, we'll check in, check in after that, that kind of piece. I think it helps them gain a little bit of that kind of controlled freedom with a very specific safety net underneath it, but they can make some choices and have that responsibility and, and have that um, option as part of their experience as well. So this is the information, this was updated with the beginning of the year and this will be sort of locked in for us if we were to move forward with this. Uh, so for a student to go it's $4,689. It is a 10-day trip and then I'm just going to go back here again. This is all that's included in that price. So students will be responsible for getting a passport, baggage fees, any additional spending money and then lunches tips for um, tour guide or anything like that, which the chaperones would be responsible for helping students organize that to make sure that that's all set. Uh, but going back to the price, the earlier we're able to introduce this and have an information night for families, the more time that they'll have to pay for this uh, with the payment plan. So if they do a 14-month plan, it will be $329 a month, which we're hoping is more affordable for some families and also giving them an earlier amount of time. I think about it as students committing to earning a certain amount through a summer job or a part-time job. Again, the more time that we're able to set this, I'm thinking students may be able to communicate with families, set goals, um, come up with a plan of how they might be able to contribute or pay for this and different ideas that they could support. Um, oh yes, so this is what they offer. There is a Global Citizen Scholarship. Um, I looked more into it. It would not be specifically to Franklin. It's across the entire company EF Tour, so it would be open to any student in the country going on a tour. 
and they give out roughly $101,000 scholarships. So the timing of your trip would depend which round you could apply for. I looked at the application process. Students would submit a two to four minute video kind of explaining what they believe they will get from the tour, kind of how they will use it to kind of improve their life and what they could use the experience for. Um, they also, every student will get a donation page. It's kind of like a GoFundMe. When they make their account on the page, there's an option for them to push out the link to people, email, text, social media, whatever it is, and anybody who followed that link and made a donation, it would go directly to that student's balance. So I know that like Facebook will allow you to pair like a charity or something like that near your birthday. Um, it could be something like that where you know maybe instead of a holiday gift or some birthday gift or something, they could ask for money towards that. Um, so that's as much as EF does. Um, they have a $100 discount. Um, I do not know what that deadline would be because we have, don't have any information set, but if we were able to follow that, that would give $100 off. But that's what they offer for uh, opportunities to help support families or students who are interested in something like this. I think that was my last one. So I'll go back to this page because this is probably the one that uh, matters the most. <laughs> um, and then if there are any questions that I can answer. Thank you so much. Of course. Um, I'll go down the line. Camille? No questions. Thank you. Dave? Yeah, uh, thank you very much for uh, uh, for the proposal, for putting this together. The proposal to um, really drilling down to a lot of the accessibility questions was, was great to read. Um, one uh, one question. I talked about you try to have uh, one chaperone per six students. Yes. Is that about average, or is that um, where does that kind of fall? I don't have any kind of like context to put that in. That's the goal for the tour company. I believe that's what the pride. I don't know what happens if we are under that. My understanding is the current trip that I'm going to be a chaperone for that's going to Spain in April, there was actually a wait list for. So it was capped at a certain point. Um, so it would just be, you know, that comes down to tour bus size and how much, how many people that tour can accommodate. Our tour, as I laid out, was, would be capped at two buses, and I believe that's around 40 students and then chaperones that would match that. So that's the, the largest the tour can go, and then that would be something like that information night. Students who are and families who are able to commit early and show interest would sort of get in earlier on that. I don't know what happens if we don't have the interest to go for that certain number if it comes between, you know, if there's four students and then do we add the extra chaperone or not? I don't know the logistics of that. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Yeah. Um, so this sounds amazing. Uh, first and foremost, uh, lucky for any students that, that go on this. Um, going abroad and seeing these different cultures opens up your eyes to many different things. And it's a great opportunity in high school. I mean, you think going to college, you go abroad. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's a privilege to be able to do it in the high school level. Uh, but I do have quite a few questions, I guess. Okay. Um, so you mentioned the, so this is not tied to uh, foreign language like other yes. programs would be. So what would the criteria for eligibility be at that point? Because uh, I guess you have a wider pool of yes. potential students. Well, I think the financial aspect is definitely part of it. Um, even that fact that it would be likely April break, I imagine certain student athletes or people who have commitments during that time may not be able to do that. 
Otherwise, we're looking at mostly students who are in academic good standing and then looking at, of course, students who are in behavioral good standing as well so that we can have the most fun, safest trip that we can. Otherwise, there's not many more limitations set on it. So it would be something where interest in students who and families who are able to make the decision, I guess, kind of faster would get on the list earlier. We kind of like the idea of keeping it more open so that it's more accessible to any student. Um, we don't have many more requirements other than students who are doing well in school and who we can trust to go on a trip and represent our school and our country. Thank you. Um, and I know the, fi like, the financial is the, probably would be the largest barrier. Yes. Are there any thoughts of um, allowing to make it a little bit more equitable to account for the financial component so that if there are students that would love to go but finances are, the, are part of probably the challenging part, ways that we can support them better or make it easier for them to go? I, I can see the students seeing the dollar amount to say, no, I'm not going to bother. But if there's like maybe a program or something that can be done, other than what was already laid out with that sort of EF does with the individual funders engaged, the potential for the scholarship or the early deadline, there's not much else that I'm aware of. I did talk to someone who helped run a trip a few years ago and he mentioned that they did a very large fundraiser. They sold mattresses and they raised quite a bit of money, but that was able to knock up about $100 for each student, uh, just because if you have like 40 students, um, it, it very quickly adds up. So Courtney and I have talked about potentially doing that, but I don't think it's the kind of huge shift that might suddenly allow a larger group or a different, it's not gonna save someone thousands of dollars. Um, just especially because of the wider number of students, 40 plus students who are able to attend. Uh, I don't know of anything that we were capable to do to you know, cover someone's trip or anything like that because we are just having, we're kind of a provider, and EF is the provider. We're not, we don't have a scholarship fund or anything for this. Uh, so again, I think time is on our side with this, and that's, I think the best thing that we can offer families is the time to plan or consider what their options may be, working summer part-time, what students first families could contribute. Um, I think that's the best that we can offer them okay. at this time. Fair enough, thank you. And then actually, piggyback to my next question. Um, so the tour donation, uh, and you mentioned similar to GoFundMe, but is this 100% of the funding goes to the student or is there a portion that goes to EF and then? From everything that I've read, it says the money goes directly to the balance for the students. Okay. So. I don't think the student gets a check for it. I think it just goes to whatever, you know, if they selected a payment plan, it would pay toward that piece um, that it would go directly to their site. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, because usually I wasn't sure if there was like a processing fee that was deducted out of that, you know? Not to my knowledge, they, in their read, in the reading of what I did, at least it said 100% you know, of the things. I hope that there's not, and I hope I didn't miss something and misrepresent it, but from what I've read, it Perfect. seems like everything goes to the student. Cool, thank you. That's my understanding. Okay, great. Okay. And, I, and I do think there are fundraising opportunities that the student activities uh, account for that student groups can fundraise for uh, the trips. Um, but similar to what um, Holly had, has indicated, you know, depending on the number of students, the amount that students raise, 
you know, it, it may um, it may be a little bit limited in terms of how much would be applicable for each student. Mm -hmm. But there can be some fundraising on the school level yeah. uh, to support the trip. Okay. Um, and then back to the chaperone question. Okay. Um, so I, I anticipate that you're going to have probably people on the list. I, I, would, I would be shocked. I mean, for students? Yeah, for students. Okay. Yeah. I figured the 40 kids, you probably get that easily in terms of the interest. Um, parents giving up the money to get their kids to go to the school, another story. But if we do get the 40 students, um, so that'd be about six chaperones, um, or five chaperones, um, and it said in the document that the chaperones would be limited to Franklin High School staff. Yes. How does this impact school power? Actually, you said it's during school breaks. So yes. For, well, you do bring up a good point, because for this specific tour, I did talk to them, and we would very likely need to miss a day um, and I spoke to Mr. Hanna about the possibility of that and what that might look like um, I don't know exactly staffing wise we just floated the idea out because of the nature of the island cruise as part of this tour only departs on Mondays I guess sort of fit the time of the tour and the days that are before that I was told we would need to depart on Thursday so we would potentially, the staff and students may miss that Friday. Um, I know that there are different athletic groups and student groups who go and do different competitions and wherever that be, even the, the most recent DECA tournament, we have teachers who were supervising that. So I do believe that the school has the ability to cover any teachers who were going to be going on that trip for coverage for them, and then the students, it is their responsibility to make up any work, and we would, of course, be supporting them and helping them make those decisions on how to best prepare for them. Great, no, thank you, appreciate it. This sounds really exciting, and yeah, I wish I could have done this <laughs> during high school once again. Like, one of those things, you want to go back to high school at this point, right? There's all those great things that are happening, so, so thank you. Uh, no questions. I'd just like to say I think it's wonderful that um, these opportunities are available to um, uh, students. Um, now, I, I certainly would have loved to have the opportunity to do something like this when I was at Franklin High. And so, you know, having stayed abroad in college and I lived abroad a little bit afterwards, I can definitely attest to the fact that experiencing different cultures really um, broadens your horizons, opens your mind. So, I think it's wonderful that um, these opportunities are available. Thank you. Yeah, agreed. Am I the only one that's going to make a joke that says, can't you limit to Franklin High School staff and school committee members? Like, I'm the only one that's going to make that joke. <laughs> Those slides were amazing. I feel like I was sort of on vacation. Um, anyways, I, I do have questions about the financial piece, because I think that's a massive barrier. It seems yes. like there's not a lot of wiggle room, really. Like, what's 100 bucks? It's a drop in the bucket when you look at a price point like that. Yes. So I guess I wonder if Miriam or anybody else, like, just in past trips, has the the district, you know, you mentioned that one fundraiser, mm -hmm. but when you apply it sort of equally to all kids, it's 100 bucks, so that might mean something to some families and not much to other families. Um, but is there like any way there can be, a, has there ever been a scholarship or has there been, you know, is this like an FEF type thing or a PCC type, like are there any like buckets of money that we can sort of put something together for a scholarship for a student that it wouldn't go to all the students, it would go to somebody that needs it that wouldn't be able to afford it, but they, I don't know, I just, it's just a question. You know, where's yeah. the money? Where can there be some money for it? <laughs> 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 
So it can come out of your budget. Um, I know. That's why I was trying to be clear. Let, let me be clear. Yeah, it yeah, can so come out of your budget. Um, you can certainly, students can ask for donations. There certainly can be money gifted um, to the district or to the student activity account specifically for this type of a trip. So that can happen. Um, there can be fundraising, as I said earlier, through the student activities account. Um, but short of that, it would it would be privately funded. They would have to be privately funded. Gotcha. Okay. And that would any any of those options like apply to all the students? That's right? correct. Yeah. Okay. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say like, can we like fund somebody trip somehow? Not we can we figure out a way to get somebody else? If not, we. Ooh. I don't know. It's Your school district budget cannot fund that. Yeah. Yes, I know that. I know that. And I'm not trying to change that. But by saying we, I mean the, gen the human the community. population. Yes, right. The general public can choose to make a donation towards this type of a trip as a gift to the school committee, to the school district, right. um, specifically uh, related to student activities in this, in this realm for this trip. Gotcha. And then okay, this were right. Hallmark movie, a wealthy person would be watching, <laughs> and then they would be so charmed by you that they would donate the full fund for 40 kids. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a good idea. The idea is they're getting better. <laughs> I, I, it's not equitable. It's not accessible for all students, and I think that's disappointing. But I, I'm not quite sure how to change that. And that's every I know so we just don't have No, I'm not saying I'm not saying I disagree with it. I think it's a great I think it's an amazing opportunity for all all different types of kids and folks. You know, it's it's just a comment. It's just I don't I don't have a solution to that, you know. And it's nobody's fault. Um, I wish EF would have like a scholarship for each district they worked with. I think that would be. I did ask them specifically better. because the language around the yeah. scholarship was pretty vague. Great, and, and then yeah. I looked into it more, and it's for the whole country. So. Right, and like, aren't there other schools going on vacation that you put vacation? Absolutely. Like, we're not going to be the other one. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for looking into that, and thank you for putting this all together. It was really thorough and appealing. <laughs> thank you very much. That was great. So, so what we will do is, I think you've asked some really great questions. I don't think we're done exhausting opportunities to joint fundraise or look for opportunities. It's just the answer is just to set expectations and be honest and upfront with mm -hmm. kind of what this entails and what we, you know, we can expect. Um, we would like to revisit. So the policy says for any type of overnight travel, um, there's a preliminary uh, approval process through the superintendent and the high school principal or principal and then it goes to you for final approval before any fundraising can take place. So this was more about just getting the conversation going, putting it out there, and then we would want to um, put forth. So we have a proposal, but we'll want to sharpen up the questions and just make sure that we have, um, we put that forth in the consent agenda for a for vote in the future meeting. Yeah, question? Sure. Sorry. Um, back to eligibility, um, is this for all grades as well? So. Yes, so it would be for anyone who would be at the school in April of 2024. So I think that I don't think any incoming freshman would be able to do it if we were to host the information night 
in this part of the school year, so they won't be students yet. Um, but I think it would be any current freshman, sophomore, or junior, because they would be sophomore, junior, seniors next year. Yeah, and that's where I was going with as well. So would this be something maybe that you partner with middle schools as well to get them to be aware of the info session for um, freshmen, or, or just we'll just see. Not, not for not for the I don't, I don't need to jump in on you, Holly. But sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna just say now, no, we're not gonna. We're not gonna no offense, I think trips like this. You know, we were fortunate in 2019 to do this. Uh, we did a European trip where they went to Berlin and Krakow and um, Budapest. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> Prague and so uh, that was a, that's kind of like one of those kind of coming of. Uh, a certain point in your at age or your point in your development and your it also gives us a pretty good trajectory of you know good citizens kids who've been following the rules for a long time and we see that as an opportunity so I, I like that idea of kind of trying to look at that but I think in this particular case we would try to stick to um, kids that we know at Franklin High that are eligible to do that so Make sense, fair enough. Thank, thank you you thank you very much thank you yeah. thank you, thank you. Thank you. All right, here next we have our special education presentation. Yes, we do. So um, each year, um, the special education department and student services comes before you to share some information around our special education program. Tonight, we're joined by Mrs. Paul Morano, our assistant superintendent of student services. Also, um, with her is Janet Graveline, our director of secondary for special education and Andrew Duquette, who is our elementary uh, director for special education. Thank you, Mr. Cheeker. Hi, everyone. I know it's the most exciting presentation Hello. of the year. You're following up a grease We're following trip, up so. a grease trip. <laughs> By the way, Dr. Rogers and I will be happy to chaperone that trip. Uh, so you know, Mr. Cheeker, we'll be out that, that Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and the following week. And the following week. Yes, that's right. You can cover the district for that. Thank you. It's OK. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. We would fund that, yes, individually, privately, yes, absolutely. So thank you all for having us tonight. We're happy to be here. Um, you know, some of the information we'll be presenting tonight will be review, um, but maybe new to some of our community members. So, um, but we also would like to talk about our programs and how they're growing and developing, um, as well as some of our trends we're seeing in the special ed department. So, thank you, Mr. Okay. All right. So everything we do in special education is guided by both federal and state laws and regulations. Um, you know, when it comes down to process, when it comes down to procedures, as well as programming for our students. But obviously there's always that human lens, right? And one of our charges um, with the laws and regulations is also to do what's right for kids, right? And really make sure that whatever we do and decisions we make are based on what our students need so that they can access our curriculum and be successful in the school environment, both academically, socially, and emotionally. Um, part of the special education laws, it has many components to it, so, um, thank you. Um, the biggest piece, of course, is parent and student participation. Parents, we need to partner with parents as we make these decisions for their child. They know their child, they are their strongest advocate for their child, and we want them to be. Um, and we want to be partners with them. Um, and when a child turns 14 years old and older, we want that student to be part of that decision-making process because it is their future that we are programming for and making sure we're preparing them for. Um, when we um, provide special ed services, of course, we start with an appropriate um, evaluation. We need to evaluate where the student currently is in the area of suspected disability. 
Um, if a child does qualify for special education, we then write an individualized educational program for them. And I want to stress, stress the word individualized. It has to be on the student's needs. What has to be based on what that individual student needs. It can't be cookie cutter. It can't be what every other student has in the district. It can't be what you have in your programs in your current district or school. It has to be what your child, that child needs. Um, we also want to provide a free and public, appropriate public education for our students. So every child um, ha is allocated as, um, yeah, we're obligated to provide, you know, that there's no cost to the parent, that that, that program needs to be free, that it needs to be reasonably calculated to make sure that our, our child makes an education, has an educational benefit for the, for the student. And it must be meaningful, and our goals must be measurable, and, it must, and a student must demonstrate progress with this program. And it, it should be in the public schools at public expense unless you know, the public school doesn't have the ability to provide those supports and services, which we'll go into later um, in this presentation. And we wanna make sure that the child is able to acquire the knowledge and skills, including those social emotional skills and, so, and social pragmatic skills to be successful in the school environment as well in, in global society. And we need to provide that programming in the least restrictive environment. So we really need to start where we're in the general ed classroom and then increase those services outside of the general ed classroom as necessary. And we'll go into more um, details later on. And then each parent and student needs to know what their procedural safeguards are, what their rights are. And they all have rights. They have rights to appeal our decisions. They have rights to, um, to the records of the student. They have rights to have a voice. And that's important. So what is special education? It is specially designed instruction to meet the unique needs of the student. As I keep saying, it's individualized. It's specialized instruction. It's above and beyond what every student in the school gets. It it's also incorporates related services. So what are those? That's your OT, that's your PT, that's your speech and language, your behavioral services, your nursing services. And providing those services if they need those to make sure they are accessing and making progress within the school environment and in, in the curriculum. And special education isn't just the same old thing. It is really a significant modification of the content that's being presented. So really content at the entry point that that student requires to access the curriculum. It looks at the instructional approach. It might be something different than every other student. It might be multi-modalities, um, meaning they need visuals, they need auditory, they need sensory, they need tactile. Um, it might be at a different instructional level. And the performance criteria may be different. So the child may demonstrate their knowledge in a different way than the other student that's sitting next to them, and that's okay. It's however we can get that knowledge out of that, however that student can tell us how they, that they know the curriculum and they're, making, they're mastering that curriculum. So when we evaluate a student for special education, we have to identify them and an educational disability, and these are the educational disabilities, and these are our um, counts for the current, um, the last, for this past October 1st. So every, so data is uploaded into the DESI, into the data world on October, December, March, and June. Right, yes, I got that right. And um, so these are the October numbers, and what I like to do is compare it from one year to another so you can see how, what the trends are from year to year. So as you see, um, most of our students in the district are identified with a specific learning disability. And what that means is a disability in a specific area. So it could be reading, it could be written language, it could be, um, it could be math, it could be um, 
that's pretty much all the general characteristics of them. And that's probably the highest um, disability type we have in the district thus far. Um, and that is um, pretty much, um, actually that was lower than what it was in, in years past. Um, the next one is autism, and then with health, health could be ADHD, it could be any other health disability. Um, one um, disability type that went up this year also is neurological. Um, we're seeing more and more students identified with executive functioning challenges that's impacting them. Um, so we're seeing more and more, a higher number in the neurological category. Um, emotional um, is also up slightly as well. So we're seeing a lot of more students with identified with anxiety disorders as well as depression um, and whatnot. All right, my turn. Uh, so when is a student eligible? For our students who are already on IEPs, they're, we're going to redetermine eligibility every three years. For our students who may have a suspected disability um, and they may not be making the effective progress we're looking for, you know, that's the time that we're going to start doing the initial evaluation. So the criteria that's important for us is we have to make sure they have one of those qualifying disabilities that Ms. Brown already talked about. We have to make sure that they're not making effective progress due to that disability. And then finally we have to make sure that they need that specialized instruction in order to make progress. Those are the criteria for when a student is found eligible. Otherwise they'd be found not eligible um, and that means that they're able to access the general um, curriculum without specialized instruction. So special education in Franklin, so as you can see here, the total population numbers are going you know, down over the last three years. Um, and as you can also see, the special education numbers are going up. It ends up being a pretty small percentage, but it is there. As we see dropping enrollment, we're not seeing dropping enrollment for special education, which is why you know, programs and special education teachers and those different related service providers are still you know, really needed on that case, just because still seeing that growth in that case. Uh, next we have ECDC, that's our you know, public preschool. It's an integrated preschool, meaning we have students with disabilities on IEPs. We also have what we're calling our community peers. Uh, they're in class together for the most part. We try to stick to ratios that are pretty close to eight to seven, which would be eight uh, community peers along with seven students on IEPs. Uh, we do have other models within the preschool. Uh, we have some sub-separate options for students who require that uh, environment. Um, we are you know, having that rolling admission, and you'll see that our numbers are increasing, and they've increased pretty substantially since October 5th due to that rolling admission and the fact that we are, you know, tasked with having a lot of child fine obligations, including when students uh, reach three, if they're eligible for an IEP, they have to be ready to start school. So since October 5th, uh, they were at uh, 51 students you see up there. So since October 5th, uh, January 5th, we were at 80. So it's gone up almost 30 students in that short period of time. Uh, you may have talked about us trying to expand ECDC a little bit and add some classrooms. That's kind of the justification for why. It's just a lot of people, a lot of students coming in and needing a place for them. We're also seeing students as, as throughout the district with more intensive needs. So they're requiring a more intensive type of programming, which is the other reason why we have to add another classroom um, this school year. So. Andrew is getting his um, construction license and as well as <laughs> contractor license and working now on how we're going to modify a middle school classroom into a preschool classroom. Yeah, trial by fire, but we'll be okay. <laughs> right. So next, overall, our elementary special education uh, data. As you can see at Jefferson Elementary, we do have 33 students in our specialized programs, which is more than the other. They have the ideas program as well as the goals program. So they do, you know, there's justification for having that number of students. Um, 
And, you know, next we have Keller. They have a large number of students due to the Davis Thayer, you know, coming together in Keller. There's just more students. Since last year, we've seen a growth at Jefferson of about 13 students at IEPs. And these numbers can fluctuate as students are found eligible and not eligible. Um, but this is a pretty close approximation of where they're at. Um, from there, uh, Keller went up seven. Kennedy also went up two. We have some district programs in most of our schools at Parmenter and Kennedy. We have our NEC partner programs, which will serve K to five. Um, Kennedy has grades four and five, and then Parmenter is uh, K to three. So our continuum of services across all the buildings, we're gonna have uh, co-teaching that'll be visible with our special education teacher and general education teacher in a variety of different ways. Uh, we do offer inclusion support and specialized instruction. That's you know, the basis for our IEP, so it's important that we're offering that specialized instruction. Uh, Jefferson, like I said, we do have ideas, which is grades three to five, and that's our language-based classroom where we're really focusing on those language-based principles. Uh, and goals for our grades K through five, that's primarily our students with uh, autism. And they're going to have their obviously their curriculum, but it's supported through applied behavior analysis. It's very closely monitored by district BCBAs to you know make sure they're able to access the curriculum. And we obviously have our related service providers that are pretty much based on the students' IEP and their needs. Um, Keller the same kind of co-teaching, inclusion, special ed instruction, but they have the Strive program for grades K through five, and their academics going to be primarily uh, functional based. Uh, there's a lot of needs in the Strive program. They have a lot of different needs across students, but we want to make sure we're you know, giving that functional academics at entry points where we can. At Kennedy, they do have the NET Partner Program like we talked about, that's grades four through five. Uh, Oak Street, they have our REACH Program for K through five, so our REACH Program is gonna have a therapeutic element uh, attached to them accessing the curriculum in different ways. So the approach really for those students is a therapeutic approach. And then finally at Parmenter, we do have our NET Partner Program, which is K through three. Okay, on to secondary level. So um, as Andrew went through his numbers, same thing that I'm going to go through for the secondary level. Um, so I'll start with Annie Sullivan. Um, you can see here 64 students out of 318, which is 20% of the population, and 14 students are in our specialized programs, which I'll, I'll talk about in the next slides. And then it just they're up um, three students from last year um, receiving services. Horace Mann, um, 69 out of 376 students. That's 18% of the school population. Students in the specialized program are 10, and that is up two students from last year that had qualified for services. In Remington is 85 out of 367, that's 23% of the population, and students in the specialized program are 22, and that's up one student from uh, years from, from last year. And um, as I go through the programs, you'll see why th these numbers look a, a little different for each building. So I'll start with Horace Mann. So as Andrew said, um, co-teaching model, um, same as elementary level, um, inclusion support and specialized instruction. So co-teaching, inclusion support, so in our classes you, there might be a special education teacher in there with the gen ed teacher um, and then a mix of students, students on receiving service, services, students not receiving uh, services. Um, 
and also if it's not the special education teacher in that inclusion support class it is an ESP that is in there and they are also supporting students so this model is at all three middle schools so at Horace Mann um, for programs we have the REACH program that's our social emotional program at Horace Mann that consists of two special education teachers three ESPs, maybe four, I could be incorrect right now, and a full-time counselor that works just within that program. And that person does a lot of um, outreach to outside providers for us too, as working with those students just in that program. At Remington, we have the Ideas Program, that's grades six through eight, and these are our um, students that are uh, language-based learners, um, and we are currently working with a consultant from Landmark, which we Paula will touch upon after. Um, and it's a person that is giving us um, some feedback and consulting and observing our teachers on um, best ways to support the students in the programs and just helping us improve and kind of getting in the right direction there. Um, also at Remington is the Goals Program. Andrew spoke a little bit about this. Um, these students are on the autism spectrum and we've actually expanded this program this year. So we have um, two programs of goals. Um, one where some students need uh, a little more support. Um, they may not be able to go out to a full inclusion classroom and need a smaller group. And then we have another goals program where students are going out to their um, inclusion classroom and um, they just need their support when they're in inclusion. Um, there's a little more independence there and cognitive abilities um, are a little higher. And then for Annie Sullivan, um, our essentials program. Uh, this is a program, it all used to be together called the STRIVE program. Um, which Andrew had spoke about at the elementary level. So um, part of the STRIVE program for our students in six through eight has, has always existed. Um, and then we just found the need um, to break that apart. Um, so the students in the STRIVE program are concentrating on um, a, a very modified curriculum um, with functional academics and um, supported related services for that grouping. Um, some of the students in this program would be on alt assessments when they take the MCAS, meaning they're not taking the regular standardized MCAS test, which is a little different for our students who are in our essentials program who are go out to inclusion classes. They are supported by the special education teacher or the um, ESP in those classes. They are our students that are trying to pass our, our um, MCAS. Um, and these kiddos need a little more support in that area and individualized, individualized attention. So sometimes they may require a small group class. And then another new program for Annie Sullivan is the NET program. So this program is just growing. So this is new for us. So um, new this year at Annie Sullivan, we have three students in that program right now and that is staffed with a um, special education teacher, um, two ESPs, uh, the BCBA, and um, the consultant from the NEC program also works within that program. 
and then related services across the board through all through um, every middle school, PT services, physical therapy services, OT services, occupational services, um, behavioral services, counseling, speech and language. I think I hit everything. Services. You did. And, yeah. <laughs> all right, I'm to leave school. So, um, for, so for Franklin High School, we have 233 students um, out of the 1,630. That's 14% of the population. And students in our specialized programs are, is 45. And this is no change from last year. This number has stayed the same for our students receiving services. High school continuum of services. So just like as I spoke um, at the middle school level for the co-teaching and inclusion support, um, you know, as, as students go through this journey and we look at our programs in our district, they, they do change and they, sh they should change as students get older and it may look a little different as students get into the secondary level and especially into the high school. It might have the same program name, but it might look a little different within that classroom as expected. Um, so co-teaching, we have several co-teaching classes at the high school level um, across um, for math, ELA, social studies. Um, so our students are supported by um, a special education teacher, and again, if not, um, an educational support personnel would be in there in ESP. For programs at the uh, high school level, we have the STRIVE program. So I did speak about that um, at Annie Sullivan. Those students that I were speaking about at the STRIVE program for um, the eighth, sixth through eighth grade, they would normally feed into the STRIVE program at the high school. Again, working on those functional um, academics. Um, the, the big difference I would say between the middle school and going into the high school is that they're focusing a lot more on those soft skills and pre-vocational skills and adult daily living skills. All of those things come, come more into play because again, we're striving for them for their independence. The other um, program, I'm gonna skip over the transition program and then I'm gonna go to the REACH program. So this is through our, um, our district, and this is our social-emotional program at the high school level. It's currently staffed with two special education teachers, two ESPs, and then we also have a full-time counselor that is dedicated to that program. Um, and that person, again, is, um, of course, supporting students in the program heavily, and then also working with families and outside providers. Um, once you get to the secondary level, those outside supports are super important in making those connections with our um, outside support people. And because for these kids, they're going to be transitioning out of high school, it's really important for us, for, for our families to make connections with them before they leave high school so that they're set for when they leave high school. Um, the next one I'll talk about is the SAIL program. This is a new program at the high school. Uh, this program is just like our goals program that is at um, the middle schools. So, um, and we have not had this um, program here before. It's just that, you know, if there's a change. Okay. I don't know what that is. Hold We're on. just going to keep going. <laughs> 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 um, 
so our SAIL program is an extension of the GOALS program. Um, and it, we have a great opportunity, and Paul is going to talk more about this, but we're working with um, Dr. Scott McLeod, and he's consulting with us. Um, for this specific population and, and helping make that program grow. A lot of the students in this program um, are out in, they're out in the general ed cricket um, classes and they're getting supports in those classes by the special ed, ed teacher or the um, support personnel that is in within that, that program. Um, the speech and language therapist is heavily involved and also counselors um, working on the social skills, social prep skills, um, communication skills, um, so they're supported in, in that way. The, um, also in the high school, there are small group classes. So these are our classes that are taught by special education teachers, and it might be for math, ELA, um, uh, science, or a social studies history class. Um, and these are for our students who really have a difficult time going out into the gen ed population in a large classroom. So there's a very small um, amount of students that receive the small group classes. Um, there's really no more than, I would say, 10 students in per class for these. Um, and then back to the STRIVE transition program. Uh, these are for our students who are in the STRIVE program and are gonna stay with us until their 22nd birthday. And in this program, they're gonna continue working on the vocational skills, um, adult daily living skills, again, functional academics, pre-vocational skills. This program is, um, the community is, is really their classroom. Um, we want them to be out in our community to learn their community, because um, they will be living here with their families most likely. And um, so trying to get them out to the library, um, doing any kind of volunteer type jobs that we can find for them. Um, COVID was, a really, was really tough with that and it's been tough to bounce back from that actually because as you know, employees are sometimes a little bit shy having a lot of people in their um, building. So that's just something that we've been working on and working through. Um, the other thing about STRIVE is exciting for them. On Fridays, they go to um, Bridgewater State College and they attend their TAB program. It's called Tr um, Transitions at Bridgewater. And we're actually one of several districts that belong to this program. So every Friday, a teacher from a different district is presenting a, um, a class to the students. So our students would go and maybe somebody from Mansfield would be teaching our students along with the other district students. And it's more about, um, it, it might be about what kinds of services are out there for them after high school. Um, what kinds, of, what, do you, what do you do in like emergency type cases and they may go, um, the teacher might go over, you know, outside community people that would help keep students safe. So it's things like that, um, more like everyday living kinds of things, and like every person from every district is taking on a class. And it's really kind of cool because our kids have got to meet other students from other districts and make connections, and that's been a really nice thing for them. And then the, the last program is the ACHIEVE program. We're just in our second year of this program, and this is um, another post-grad program. And for, for this program, our students are, um, are ready to go out into the community and, and work on internships or jobs. Sometimes um, they may need some supports, but a lot of times they're ready to be out working and they can be in a job. 
Um, we have a we have situations where a student may need one extra year. They they recording in progress. They have completed their program of studies through high school, and they may not take their diploma and spend an extra year um, with us in the Achieve program. Again, it's it's based on individuality of who goes into the Achieve program. Um, um, the big piece of this program that I would like to see more is it's a great program, it's a very strong program, and there's not a lot of transition programs out there for students 18 to 22. So for our students who are in out-of-district programs, this is a good opportunity if they need those few extra years to come and they're ready to come back, this is a great place for them to be. Um, again, working on executive functioning skills, post-secondary planning, college readiness, work readiness, things like that, filling out applications, getting out there, communication skills. Um, so, um, so that is uh, the other thing about Achieve program I wanted to say is they all, we um, work with Bridgewater and our students go to the Excel program. We have one there this year. So that's an opportunity when um, our student that is there now goes with a uh, educational coach, which is supplied by uh, Franklin Public Schools. And that student takes one course, it's, an, it's audited, for one semester, and then the next semester they get to take another course. Um, and then um, they also have a communication group that they attend there, and then um, a small internship while they're at Bridgewater. So um, the student is there three days a week, and um, so hopefully next year we're gonna have two students that will be attending the program, and we'll just see, because it is an application process through Bridgewater. The other thing I'd like to add about our Achieve students is they also opened the school store this year. Yes, that's the other huge thing. They opened, thank you for reminding yes. me of that. The school store, it looks absolutely amazing. I don't know if you're ever in the high school, but they did a wonderful job. And um, can't, sell, can't sell the candy during the day, and I know kids don't you know like swag. <laughs> but um, they have lots of other goodies in there that you can buy throughout the school day, and they are open after school for about an hour for kiddos to go get a snack and whatnot in, um, in any of the other kind of fanfare stuff that they have. Yes, they have the high quality sweatshirts. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that's it for that. That's me again, sorry. Um, out of district placements. So these are just, um, so as another part of our job for Andrew and I is that we're the out of district coordinators. I mostly have all the secondary students. Andrew has elementary, of course, with some secondary students on his caseload. Um, so we have um, member collaboratives, non-member collaboratives, private day schools, residential schools, out-of-state approved schools, um, which I don't think we have anybody at this point right now. And then we also have unapproved programs. And how did, can you talk about how they get to the out-of-district schools? Yes, what? yes, so why do why do students go to out-of-district schools? That's actually my next slide. Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> because here's my number. Okay, there you go. All right. So um, out-of-district placements. So ages, six to 22, of course, right before they turn 22, students age out. Um, so currently, like right now, we have 70 students that are in our audit district placements. And um, the piece that, you know, that Paula had brought up about, you know, a student going out of district, it's always a team decision that, um, you know, it, it, 
if things were not working out for the students, if, if the student wasn't making progress, if um, there were other circumstances that the student just couldn't access curriculum, the team would come together and make that decision along with the family to help them make that decision. Um, and then at that point, you know, if, if all team members agree on that, then it's where Andrew and I start looking for different placements for this student to go out. Um, I have to say it's a really big decision for family. It's, it's never easy because we're taking the student out of their community and we know that the community is so important for them. So it is, it, it's a big deal. And, um, and I always say too, sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side either. Um, we really have great programs here in Franklin and I really stand behind that because we, we do, they're, they're great. So, um, so again, it's, it's never an easy decision to make for, the, for families. Anything else that for our district? Just that um, we're ha I'm happy to report that this number has stayed consistent over, over the last few years, even with COVID. Um, we really have had, a, the 70 has been the number and I've really checked the numbers multiple times to make sure of that. Um, so what happens is either students are aging, we really don't send that many students out anymore for one thing because we do have such robust programs in our district, but also students are aging out or we're bringing students back to district, which Jen has some yeah, so just to mention, so um, currently right now, possibility, we have four students that may be returning to us back into um, our programs here. And then this year is a large number of graduating and aging out students. We have 14 um, within this year from the audit district program. So that's a pretty significant number. Um, so that's that's the good news too, that they've made, made progress and you know, and that they'll be graduating, which is great. Yeah. Okay. So one way we support our, our teachers, um, you know, because yes, we're good at what we do, and then we have a lot of knowledge, but there's also those, there's also those students who have complex profiles, or there's also those cases that um, we really um, kind of get stuck on. So we're lucky here in this district that we use some of our we use our grant funding to um, consult um, to reach out to different consultants and experts in the field. Um, so right now we're currently working with four different consultants um, in our district um, who come to the district most on a monthly basis, if not more frequently. Um, who observe students, who meet with our district teachers, who meet with our teachers, consult on specific students. But the other piece that's been so valuable, both um, we find for the teachers and, uh, and for our families, is they also are willing to reach out to our families and really have some discussions with the families and problem solve with families if they're struggling with maybe behavioral issues at home or in the community, or if you know the, we as district teachers and, and, and experts have tried to relay some messages and sometimes it's not always received well, but sometimes that outside doctor or outside consultant um, can give that little bit of expertise and, and consultation to the parents. And parents have found it very valuable to have them at the meetings. Um, so this year we've consulted with um, Dr. Lisa Gallagher, who is a forensic psychiatrist, neuropsychologist, and clinic, she has many degrees. Um, and she's been consulting with our REACH um, teachers and program. So she'll come in monthly, meet with our REACH teachers, they'll case conference on specific students, she'll do some observations, and then give some feedback. Um, we also work with Dr. Scott McLeod from NGH. We've been working with Scott for quite a few years now, and he is our consultant um, for autism, for high, students with high-functioning autism. And as, as 
Jen alluded to, he's also been really actively consulting with um, our high school um, program sales. I keep wanting to call goals sales um, and from program development on. So he came in during the summer, he worked with the program teacher to really come up with the, A, the name of the program, um, and as well as what the programming would look like and then does some ongoing consultation there. This year, we also um, reached out to Landmark School because we're having, as with the new dyslexia law being passed, as well as seeing a, a higher number of students being di um, identified with dyslexia, um, as, as well as having our two our language-based program in the district, we've consulted with Landmark Schools. So we've been consulting with Linda Gross, who is a language-based learning consultant. She comes in monthly as well. She's started with our elementary program, but is also consulting in our middle school program. And what's great with Linda is not only is she working with our program staff, but she's also working with our general ed teachers. So those language-based strategies and, and skills can be generalized into the general ed classroom when those students go in there. Um, and then we have an ongoing consultation with the New England Center for Children, NEC. Um, Amanda, we've been working with Amanda for a number of years now. She's been consulting with goals. Um, so not only was she our supervisor for our NEC partner program, but then she transitioned as our NEC consultant, which was with our goals consultant, which was great. So again, she comes into the classrooms, she observes, she gives feedback to the teachers, she gives feedback to the administrators on how to improve programming. But we also work with you know specific case consultation as well with her. So it's been great. And she's been able to see the program grow over the last few years, which has been helpful. Um, so what's our goal? Our goal in special ed, they haven't changed. These have been our goals for years. Um, you know, we want high standards and expectations for all of our students, including our students with disabilities, and most importantly for our students with disabilities, um, so that they can access the curriculum and progress in the general ed curriculum, um, general ed classrooms. We need to teach them the skills, those underdeveloped skills that we identify in the evaluation process, um, making sure that we teach those skills. And we want them, we want to teach them strategies so they're able to compensate for those skills as well as not only just fill in the gaps, but also compensate for those maybe areas of depth of challenge. Um, and then we want to engage parents, as I always said, that's very important to Jen and Andrew and myself, as well as all our teachers, that we really want to have constant communication and collaboration with our parents in the district. And of course, we have to comply with those laws and regulations that we're, we're bound to do, um, that we have to do. Um, and then, for all of our students, we want them to have portrait of graduate. Of obviously, we've reached that portrait of the graduate um, goal, which is to make sure that our students with disabilities become confident and self-aware individuals, that they're empathetic and productive citizens, that they're curious and creative thinkers, effective communicators and collaborators, and reflective and innovative problem solvers, no matter where they are in regards to their intellectual development or their learning or anything. We just want them to have those skills. Um, and we want to make sure that, of course, our school environments are safe and inclusive for all of our students. Happy to take some questions, which I'm sure you have. Thank you very much. Camille, I have a question about the change of school from K to three and then four to five in NEC. Yep. Um, not having much experience. I just think community is important. Keeping them in their community is there. Is it um, space reasons or that? Okay, it's space. It's, it would yeah, it'd be nice to keep it. It would be, school. and we would love to do that, but it's yeah. really an issue of space. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately. And when we moved goals, because goals grew so so much, um, goals used to be at Kennedy, and then we moved it to Jefferson because it was growing, 
So then Kennedy's like, what about us? We'd like to have a specialized program in our building. Please give us another one. So when we had to expand NEC, then we put NEC there. So it's all And the all current space speed. needs um, uh, evaluation, yes. survey, We're, and all that is including. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, yes. I am an active part of that <laughs> for that reason. Um, I have two more questions. I was happy to hear about the store because I did want to ask about if there's opportunities in the school for kids to practice and also to be interacting with mainstream. Okay, that's great. Um, they, I order coffee from our kids. Yeah, and they're also, they're in our cafeteria, they work in our cafeteria too, doing that's different great. kinds of jobs. Too. That's great. Um, and then I had a question, and I have, as a teacher, I have some assumptions I'm making here, but I want to ask the question in case also the viewing audience wanted to know. So the, the highest percentage of student population with in special education is 23% at Remington, but then, and I know that's the highest, and then there's like eight, it's 18 to 23. Um, but then it's down to 14%. Can you explain reasons why the percentages might go down? So, um, so, Remington, so if you looked at um, Remington, their percentage is higher because they do have um, the ideas program mm -hmm. and the goals program. And, and as I said before, we actually added to the goals program. So there's two of those. Okay. And then ideas is, program is at each grade level. So sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade. Um, and then what What other one were we referring to? Oh, no, I was just then it, it, by the time they get to high school, it's only 14%. I just wondered if some kids, once they become 14, they become involved, they're like, no, nah, I don't need services anymore. Well, like, is that part of that percentage, or, it's, or is it the parents decide? You know, the students received, has been on an IEP in middle school and has shown progress, or did they test out, or what? what what are some of the reasons? I see why it's not 23, really. It, but it's between 18 and 23, but it's not 14. So the lowest percentage is 18. So what makes it go down? That's exactly it. I mean, a lot of times it's that students meet their goals and objectives and they don't qualify for IEPs anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's move-ins, move-outs, there's... Yeah, the, the other thing with high school, after eighth grade, there's choice of where you go to school. So some of our students may go to okay. Tri-County, yep. so, and those students may receive services sure. also. So okay. that's a... That's, that's actually a, probably a, a good size student that applies okay. to Tri-County and goes there. But, but that's to the other point too, is definitely as students go through this journey, you know, that's our hope, right. is by high school we can start transitioning the students off of it. Sure. Mm -hmm. okay. That's all my questions. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank Appreciate you. It. Dave? Um, first, thank you so much. I know uh, you provided valuable services to so many families within our community. Um, we got two questions. Uh, one of them, so kind of know the answer here, but um, assuming uh, for students that are receiving special uh, education, students in specialized programs, is that a, a higher cost to the district than a, otherwise a student who, who is not receiving those services? Essentially, yes, because they have more, I mean, more teachers working with them, different related service providers working with them, so yes, special ed per pupil would be higher than a student without, um, without who's not on an IEP. Am I right, Mary? That's correct. <laughs> I always so, look to Mary for my <laughs> I say it right. I know uh, one of the early slides that, that uh, you had, you kind of talk about how across the district, 
enrollment is decreasing, uh, but within the district of special education, uh, the numbers of students are increasing. And, you know, so we really, uh, I know a, a lot of times when we kind of start to talk about money, uh, they talk about this inverse relationship. Well, you know, if the, if the enrollment's going down, shouldn't the cost be going down too? Like how come we're spending more money uh, every, you know, every single year? And, you know, I think as we kind of start to approach budget season, this is definitely, you know, something that, that needs to be highlighted. Um, you know, because it's, uh, when you look and you say, well, you know, like, you know, why, why are the costs going up when enrollment's going down? We can easily point to that slide that we had right there and, and, and show to say, um, you know, to the greater community is because there are so many more students than there were, say, 10 years ago uh, that are receiving special education and, you know, the, the price per pupil uh, for individuals that are receiving those services is substantially higher. Uh, and so, you know, there's kind of one of the, the, the many pieces of the puzzle, but one of the disconnect kind of between that inverse relationship. Um, and so I thought that, that uh, slide that we had really presented that material perfectly, and I think it would be uh, helpful to continue to, to illustrate and to highlight that information. Um, one other thing, too, actually, kind of piggybacking on what uh, my colleague was talking about, um, when we look at uh, just like the elementary and middle school levels, uh, we see that like the Jefferson Remington complex, they had the highest percentages and also the highest number of students uh, receiving special education and in um, specialized programs. Does the, the Jefferson Remington complex also kind of have the, the highest number of staff or admin to kind of support those numbers as well? I, I kind of I worry in terms of like an equity piece. I know each program is unique and each program has different you know levels of services. But uh, but I, I do worry that uh, you know we have some you know I don't know Jefferson I think it was like twenty five percent and uh, you know because there's such a high number of students kind of comparatively uh, across other schools do we have the the staff to support that higher number we do so uh, their numbers at Jefferson Remington sorry if I do are, are higher because they each have two programs. So that's one piece. Um, Goals alone has four classrooms. So yes, so, and to support those students in those specialized programs, they have the special educators and a higher number of, of educational support professionals. So staffing-wise, yes. So I, when we look at staffing, we, we staff based on need of students and the number of students on IEPs. That's, that's one area I look at. But it's not based on just on the number of IEPs. It's also on the needs of the students who have those IEPs. So those are things that I look at when I staff a special education, a school with special education staff. Um, so yes, they do have a, a higher number of staff to support those students. They have more FTEs, you know, full-time equivalents of speech and language, of OT, and of counseling support as well as need, depending on which program. Um, we make we try to be as equitable as possible based on the need of the building, based on the need of the students. Um, we can always use more, as I always say every year, but, <laughs> but yes, we do consider that. Um, for sure. Terrific. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Appreciate it. Al? Thank you. Um, so, well, thank you for this presentation. Um, I appreciate your advocacy for all these programs and support that's needed to help these students get what they need to succeed and be successful. Um, I would, I, I have no doubt that because of these programs, these are helping these students graduate school, be able to go into the workplace, uh, higher education workplace, wherever, wherever they may go, and be successful and have the tools to be able to manage 
life and, and forward. So um, definitely a valuable um, piece of information and knowledge. Um, and I think if we look at our graduation rates, they're probably higher because of this. Um, and when you mentioned the, the very special education, I mean, I think about when I was in high school or when I was in elementary school, special education was a lot different, a lot of different definitions, what the higher um, degree of needs was what special education was. But now when we're looking at this, about one in five students receive specialized programs. And it's not something that you can say, okay, it's obvious. You don't, you don't know what children are getting it, and right. it's not the same as before. Mm -hmm. um, and especially thinking, once again, back to my school days, you had one teacher, one student, and that's what you had. And now we have one student that may have, what, four, five? Tapering service provided, yeah. Provided, exactly. So I think from a cost perspective, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely, you can't just look at the numbers and say, we have too many teachers, or we have, you know, we have less students and we, we're not, you know, we should reduce our budget. Why is our budget going up? Um, it is because one teacher, one student ratio is not enough. And if we don't have that, what happens? Students don't progress. And if they don't progress, what happens then? They don't provide to our society. They don't give back. And it becomes more of a burden long term. So care for it now. Spend now. Save later. Yep. So. Um, I love what you're all doing because I think it helps the long run and, and if we're looking at just the short term, um, it's painful, but it's going to help us down the road. So, so thank you for that. Um, not many questions, it's really this observation, but I think you did a phenomenal job just talking through what, we've, what we all know here. And I think I would love the public to understand this and the importance of what you do um, and just really advocate for them to help all of us succeed and support these students. Um, you mentioned um, an update around dyslexia. Can you just elaborate on that one a little bit? Sure. So the so there's new regulations around dyslexia. So it's really looking at early identification. So we have you know districts are have to do screenings starting in kindergarten three times a year to to look for dyslexia. Um, you know, in years past, um, you know, dyslexia was a word that you know school-based teams couldn't didn't want to say or die quote unquote diagnose it was like nope that's a medical diagnosis now we are charged with doing that if we notice that in testing that a student has signs or does have um you know um, characteristics of dyslexia we have to say yes the student is identified with dyslexia and provide those services if a if we feel that the student isn't accessing curriculum um so we're seeing a lot more students identified with dyslexia because it, it's you know, it's being identified earlier and earlier. So it's really important that our teachers, both general ed teachers and special educators, um, have that understanding of dyslexia, have that understanding of, of how to um, help students who have dyslexia and, and improve those skills and instructional practices, but also in the general ed classroom, how we do the, how we use language-based um, strategies to make that student successful in the gen ed classroom. So they don't need to have so much pull-out services and, and specialized instruction, so. And then as a result, the numbers that we're seeing in terms of the population that's getting uh, specialized services would possibly increase because we're mm -hmm. skilled enough to find. Correct, and areas. they really need that systematic multi-sensory reading instruction that, so in, in this district we use primarily Wilson, but we're also looking at other specialized, multi-sensory specialized programs like Orton-Gillingham as well as um, different other avenues because Wilson doesn't work for everybody. So we're really trying to expand um, the skills and education of our, of our teachers so that they can try other things as well. And for parents that have had 
older kids now, or that are kids are older now, that they struggled reading and writing back then. It could have been because they needed these services and weren't able to be able to diagnose that and be able to say, here's what you know, they make them a little bit more successful and have those tactics and techniques to, to be successful. Correct. Um, so I think, I think that folks I think need just to be cognizant of why we're doing this. It's not just to look for a problem. There's a problem that, that's been here that people just aren't paying attention to. And what you're doing is a great body of work to help us make sure that these kids are successful and they can hit the fortunate graduate goals and, and move on to learn. And right. I feel that they're they're not capable and it's they're they don't have the ability to, it's just that they need something special. Right. And I, you know, to put a plug in for our interventionists, I mean, even before we get to special ed, that's why we, we, we keep advocating for interventionists and asking you to support us with hiring interventionists because let's do that instruction and that intervention before they even are qualifying for an IEP, before they even have an identified disability. Because we're going to see those numbers, those early identification numbers of dyslexia possibly and those signs. So let's get them some tier two intervention to, to help with those reading difficulties. So it's even before it even gets to special ed, that's why we need other staff to support our students at that tier two level. Great, thank you. Um, and then one last thing, um, with the 857 students that are in receiving a program right now, I'm just wondering how does that compare to numbers, why not percentage-wise, but our high in school population? Like I'm wondering, like, were we at 857 in specialized programs? when we're at the peak of population, or was it less than that? Oh no, it was less. So, I mean... Which is why our programs are expanding. Exactly, exactly. So I think just, just for somebody just to see that in comparison, I think would really be a powerful message. So, mm -hmm. just a piece of the food of thought. Um, so thank you, appreciate thank you. this. Okay. Uh, thank you all uh, for this presentation. It's uh, so valuable that we provide um, you know, these programs for you know, our students, especially needs, and I mean, it's critical that we are you know, giving all students, regardless of their need and ability, you know, the education that they're entitled to. And I think it's very, um, it speaks highly of the uh, kind of public schools and this is a community, our values that you know, we are um, you know, doing all that we can to give the best possible education experience to all the students in our district. So yeah, thank you for giving us this update. Uh, I do have a, a few questions. Um, first, I mean, you mentioned you know, some of the programs have been new and some of the you know, staff have been added. What has the impact been of the special education positions that were added through the FY23 budget? So we, last year we were fortunate to add you know, some special education teachers, um, a Wilson teacher, as well as add, you know, expand our programs with NEC and goals. Um, and there's definitely been a positive impact. So we've seen a reduction, at least in some of our programs, a reduction of behaviors because we were able to make the classes a little bit smaller. Um, so they weren't, kids weren't all over each other and they weren't um, maybe getting each other a little dysregulated. So we were able to expand that a little bit. And then we were also able to provide more targeted programming for that group of students based on their needs. Um, so that has been very helpful. Um, the other things is we've been able to kind of um, probably support our students in, in those different classrooms because they were smaller classrooms and, and or else more specialized classrooms like by ha bringing on sales, by bringing on the second goals classroom at Remington, it's really been able for us to really target that specific programming for that needs of that cohort. So we, we've definitely seen um, improvements and we'll see, you know, we'll be at, over the coming months, we'll be able to see the data to, to support the academic data to support that as well and see how they're reaching their pro progressing with their goals and objectives. 
but anecdotally, that's what we've seen. So, seeing a reduction in behaviors as well as you know more targeted programming to these students, so that I mean that has a benefit to not just these students, but the entire student population. Absolutely, it's especially the whole school community as well, because you know they something if, if there's behaviors going on in, in the specialized program, sometimes it does impact the larger school community as well. So absolutely. Okay, so you know, so investing in these programs is a greater investment that has a larger benefit that ripples out to the entire student population. Correct. That's very good to hear, thank you. Um, what, would, what would you say are still the greatest remaining needs for these programs? Um, honestly, I think it's time for our teachers to collaborate um, and really um, work with our curriculum um, leaders. Um, I think that, that is huge. Um, you know, some of our program teachers, just to the nature of staffing and scheduling and whatnot, um, have, could use some extra time to collaborate with their general ed um, colleagues, as well as, like I said, the curriculum leaders, um, as well as their educational support professionals. Um, you know, there's just not enough time in the day. You know, our principals do a really great job of trying to structure their day and making sure everyone gets their preps and lunches and whatnot, and they do a great job with that, but there's still time is always needed. Um, and I don't know, you know, Mr. Giger and I ha and Dr. Rogers have, and I have those conversations a lot of how we can give our teachers more time for that collaboration. Um, and, 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 yeah, so, I don't know. No, I, I'm going to totally agree on that. The collaboration time is is key for them, and I, I think they would agree saying that that would be a number one thing for them that they need more is is having time to collaborate. They're they're on the, you know once those kiddos get in school, they're just straight out for the day, so it's really hard to to you know have those quick conversations even. Um, so. And a lot of, yeah, and a lot of, sorry, a lot of our teachers have multi, I know I keep interrupting you. I don't need to talk A lot of our, you know, a lot of our program teachers have three grade levels, you know, could have three grade levels. So not only that are they developing, you know, preparing for students in grade four, but they're also five and three, you know, and so it, it, it's a lot and, and they really could use more time. Yeah. And I think in the lens of a special education teacher working with education support personnel in the classroom and having time to speak with them and give them an update on what we're doing today and have it you know, be less as you're flying by one another, having a quick conversation, which you have to do, um, but trying to find the time that they can you know, have meaningful conversations or professional development from the teacher and things like that. That's time well spent for them. If I, if I could add to just through some of the listening tours and meeting with some of the staff, our special ed liaisons that work. So not just specialized program teachers, but our liaisons across the board are stretched very thin. And I think back to the early conversations we had around hiring and trying to fulfill um, spaces, that really on the backs of a lot of our special educators were to stretch them pretty thin. So um, that's, that's a comment that has been shared and I just wanted to kind of elevate it now and say, you know, uh, Mrs. Morano talked about staffing, you know, if we had unlimited resources and we could um, provide more and there were professionals out there applying for these jobs, um, we're up against some things. So um, our, our special education, um, work, everyone who's an employee who works with students um, in that, it's, it's a calling, but it's certainly coming at a time where um, it it's, has additional challenges. So. You know, our goal is to try to work together to continue to plan and support um, all of our teachers, um, but particularly when you talk about time, Paul, I agree with you. 
and then also trying to look at um, the work that's happening between our admin, as you mentioned, the teachers that are working within those classrooms, and then our specialized teachers as well. So um, it's a it's a huge puzzle, and um, we do the best we can to try to support and move things forward. But it's certainly on our minds as we enter this next cycle as well. Thank you very much. And uh, just one last question: um, Would you be able to approximate the degree to which the services that we provide students, especially <coughs> staff we employ um, for these programs prevent out-of-district placements? Absolutely. I mean, the, the higher quality services that we provide, you know, and the more supports we can give our students in the specialized program will prevent them, you know, they'll make progress and therefore they won't have to go to the out-of-district placements who, you know, they're great, they're expensive, and, you know, I, and as Jen said, I think our, our we have great and very highly qualified staff here in district who do some great things. And, um, you know, I think staffing is it's challenging for the out-of-district programs and sometimes, and the, the transportation, the time the students are on the van to go to these out-of-district placements is, could be up to an hour one way. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, it's taxing for the student. It's making, you know, it's an exhausting day to begin with and then to be in a van for an hour on the way home and, and come home is tough and you know and it's more cost effective for us i mean as, as much as we um you know as high as our peer pupil might be for students in our specialized programs it's still far less than our out of district placements an example an average student in district is thirty two thousand dollars and then for an out of district student it's eighty eight thousand dollars and that's not counting transportation to get that student to that out of district program and the wear on that student for being in that van and and whatnot and not being with their community pairs and not with their you know their neurotypical pairs and not in their neighborhood schools so yes the benefit is just not for the students social emotionally and academically but it's cost effective as well so i mean every uh, additional staffer that we add to these programs could potentially save money to an exponential degree Yes. I'm not nearly as good at math as Miriam. As Miriam, I did check those numbers with Miriam prior to this, so to make sure. But I mean, even our NEC partner program. So one student going to NEC is, let's see. Um, it's 131 for 131,000 for one student to go to the NEC program in Southborough or Westboro, I never know whichever it is, but anyway. For our NEC partner, the whole NEC partner program, all three classrooms, is $498,000. So, for 15 students. Wow. So there you go. Thank That's you. why we do what we do. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. There's so much here. I know. It's all so exciting. <laughs> you love this, Elise. One of, my, one of the hardest things for me as a school committee member is not talking. That's one of the hardest things for me. Is it? Yeah, well, I wanted to, I wanted to talk, I have a con full conversation with the Italian, full conversation with Al, but like everything, there's so many topics here, so I can't, and I won't, because I wouldn't do that too, because it's late. Um, but I'm so glad that everybody's engaged in this, because this is so important, and this is just, you know, philosophically, it's the right thing to do. We want all, we want our kids to pray with. Um, I'm so glad we have specialized programs in every school. Um, and I love that Kennedy did that, and I remember when Kennedy was like, what about us? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important for, for kids with disabilities to be educated with their same age peers, like you're saying, you know, driving up to Southboro, being on the van, being in traffic, um, 
it's not just a financial dollar to dollar balance here. You know, they're they're five minutes down the road, they're at their local school, they're seeing these people at the grocery stores and the libraries, and people are familiar and waving to everybody, and um, it's really uh, helps everybody be more part of the community. Uh, it's also important that all our Franklin kids get to share schools with students in our specialized programs. And that's a really important thing for me, and it always has been. And when my kids were at DT, there wasn't a specialized program. And we're lucky to know a number of students, uh, or kids, just in our personal life, that have multiple disabilities and tons of equipment and all sorts of different you know, communication devices and feeding tubes and whatever. And so they had exposure to lots of you know, differences, um, but not at school. And so now, Everybody, all students, no matter what kind of school they're at, have exposure to different types of differences in different schools. But you know, it's, it's out and about, and it's around, and everybody's getting used to um, all sorts of differences. And that's important, because our world is diverse, and we it's, it's um, our duty, I think, to expose all our kids to all sorts of different differences. Um, so, a couple commendations. Um, I love the partnership with BFU. I think that's so exciting. I remember hearing about that a little bit last year. So the TAB program sounds super great. And also for, I think, for those transition teachers to network each other and get to know each other and see, watch each other pretend and sort of share ship tips and tricks. Yep. It's like a um, support group. <laughs> exactly, right, because like, they're very much an island in yes. the district, yes. right? Because there's only one of them, or yes. one little cohort. Yes. So when you group up a whole bunch of districts and they're able to talk and share resources, that's amazing. Um, and the Excel program, can't, can't, can't wait to hear more about that and hear of that expand too, that's really exciting. Um, I did want to clear some of the numbers I think like I, I get a little hesitant about because it's not always as easy as just like numbers on paper. So when we're talking about 14 kids aging out or graduating, yes, that's really good news. But that doesn't mean like we're down 14 this year, we're gonna be down 14 next year, down like because they keep they keep coming, they keep on coming. So kids from early intervention, kids with disabilities, kids who are identified turn age three, and once they turn age three, we own them. Right, so it's not like we we're not going to get any more three-year-olds. So I oh, think well, that right, hence the ECDC growing, yeah, yes. growing, <laughs> yeah. And so I think just that, like, if somebody like listened to this one teeny little clip of school committee hearing, like, oh, we're down 14 students, that sounds really great, but like, they're also coming in, mm -hmm. and early intervention has not been slow, right? Early intervention has been very, very busy everywhere. Um, okay, thank you for your patience. Um, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to weigh like how where I want to go. So, um, all right. So, Paula, you brought up um, a piece about I forget how you said it exactly, but when we talk about multi-tiered systems of support, so when we talk about MTSS and the triangle and having universal supports for everybody, like districts that don't have strong MTSS that don't have tier two, don't have interventionists. It's like they have what they give everybody and then they have special ed. So if somebody's not needs a little bit more than what they give everybody, they're referred to special ed since it's the only game in town. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about like that's one reason why we're always talking about MTSS is like when we when we beef up 
not just what we give everybody, but then sort of like the kids that need a little bit more, a little bit of targeted instruction. They just need reading specialists for six to eight weeks, so they just need some math groups, or they need some preview and review. They just need like a little bit more. It's not special education. They don't have a disability, maybe, but they need a little bit more. So when we have interventions, when we have staff that can provide those tier two services, like we can, we can catch them and we can give them what they need and then they can go back to gen ed and continue along their learning journey. Whereas, so that's, that's, why, that's why tier two is so exciting to get tier two really robust because then, then theoretically down the road, once tier one and tier two are so strong, the special ed numbers will be lower because then you really, when you get up to special exactly. ed, it's only the kids with disabilities who are not making progress in the general ed curriculum, despite all this other robust stuff that we've been doing and like the amount of data that sort of like by going through the process of tier one and tier two can be really data intensive and paperwork intensive for folks, but like it, it, it tells a story and it creates a trail. So like after, you know, we've tried this, we've tried that, we've tried this, we've tried that, we have all the data to show that it's still not working, I think we need to refer to special ed. Whereas before, when there's nothing else in town, it's like, this kid isn't making progress, refer him to special ed. So I think like that's, you know, MTSS is in a way sort of complicated, but it, it sort of will alleviate some of, the, some of the special ed strain that like special ed is sort of like grown to reach to try to like, cover for other kids that might not necessarily need to be there. So they're like over-identified because again, it's the only game in town. So it's just, this is very exciting to me and thank you for listening to my TED talk about MTSS. <laughs> and thank Fair you question. for your <laughs> I don't think there's a question. So I guess the question, the question would be. Um, so okay. yes, I agree with you, Lisa. How's that? <laughs> Yeah. I agree. So I, I think that it would be interesting for us to see, um, as school committee, to see like some of the, the IST numbers. So like yes. the kids that are being referred to those tier two interventions. And um, if we could just see some of those numbers basically as like a baseline. Like where are we now? What's it look like now? And then we're going to be like talking about MTSS for a bunch of years. And then look at those numbers again down the road. Because hopefully those numbers will show that once kids go into the IST, um, instructional student instructional support team. Um, then they sort of get the supports they need outside of special ed, and then they can sort of like go back along their way. And so, hopefully, in a couple of years, when all that is you know down the road a little bit, um, it will affect special ed numbers. That is the hope. Yeah, it will alleviate some of the pressure there. Okay. Um, so okay, so I guess. Another question is um, sort of unrelated, but related to back to special ed, like the just as far as like continuous improvement of program and co programs, and you know programs have grown so much, and it really is an amazing feather in our cap as far as having so many specialized programs in Franklin. Um, do we do program evaluations? Have we done program evaluation? I remember hearing about the counseling one a couple of years yeah, we, ago. So we, a couple of years ago, we did. We did the counseling one. Mm -hmm. We've had a program evaluation um, in the last five years, let's say, for Strive. Mm -hmm. um, we worked with a consultant that came in and evaluated Strive. She surveyed staff. She surveyed parents. She looked at 
progress monitoring and, and whatnot and gave us some recommendations. We also did the same thing for REACH. I think REACH and STRIVE have had two rounds of program evaluation. Um, I was trying to get one for ideas, but believe it or not, I could not find anyone who could do a program evaluation for a language-based program. I think because so many districts were trying to create language-based programs in the past year that no one was available, so hence we went with Linda Gross. Um, and we've also done a program evaluation for goals, which, which aligned us with um, Amanda Spitzer from NEC. Um, so yes, we do that. Um, they come in, they talk to our staff, they talk to parents, they observe, they look at data, um, and then they give us recommendations. You know, some of those recommendations have been, you know, tighten up your entrance and exit criteria, or this is the staffing you need, or you need more time for consultation between the teacher and the ESPs. So we really look at those recommendations and see how we can um, put those, an action, develop an action plan from them to improve our programming. Um, so yes, they are very useful. Um, and we'll con I try to do it in a cycle, um, just so that each program gets, gets you know, evaluated in a, in a certain number of years, just like we do with ELA, just like we do with math. So um, yes, so co-teaching probably is our next one. Um, I've been wanting to do a, co a program evaluation that was pre-COVID and then COVID hit, so we didn't do that. So my goal is for next year is to um, find someone who can come in and evaluate our co-teaching programs throughout the district. Got it, because I do think the information is so valuable, especially coming from an outside person. Absolutely. Like, we could do all it. different programs and use the standardized tools, probably. Right. And then I would imagine that as far as like budget drivers, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, if, they, if they keep saying, like, there's these recurring themes that we keep hearing, mm -hmm. or that you keep hearing, and then it sort of becomes um, somehow resources have to be allocated. Absolutely. Um, I can offer one more, just an additional in the way of teaching and learning and student services being interconnected. Our math specialists work and reading specialists at the elementary level work very closely with our interventionists um, and have done a tremendous amount of work in creating kind of a scope and sequence that um, really is with the intention of accelerating learning just in time um, and have kind of streamlined their data collection processes and tools. Uh, and the resources that we use at a tier two level. And so they're working, the math specialists specifically, um, are working to pull some data together to present, to potentially present um, at a later date, just to give it an idea of what, when we say tier two, what do we need when we say right. tier two? So we're starting to have those conversations. I think that would be really helpful. I think that would be really helpful. And it would just sort of, um, let us take a moment to honor their work and sort of hear their their stories because they're they're busy um, and yeah we're we're lucky to have them. Okay, I know we discussed the cost for out of district placements. You know, seventy students. Um, how many are in residential programs, and what's the cost for that? I don't know how many, but I think the cost can range anywhere from two to four hundred thousand dollars, depending yes. on where you're going and how intensive their needs are in that residential program. Mm -hmm. It really depends why they're there, how often they're there, and okay. yeah. But two hundred to four hundred thousand a year. A, a year. year. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, just looking, you know, we have all of these acronyms, and I know that. Mr. Jagir and I have talked about it in the past, you know, with UDL and MAP and MTSS. Is there any way, maybe, if you and Ms. Morano could get together and kind of make a cheat sheet? Sure. I know that, you know, that there are people out in the community that are always like, what is MTSS? What is SAIL? What is IDEAS? Yep. It would be nice if we had something yep. just to have on the site that kind of explains what each 
is. We discussed that at one time, and I think yeah. we can come through. We can follow through. Yep, with that. absolutely. Yep. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Camille? Sorry, guys. Camille, go ahead. Um, I, something that Al had said triggered something in my head. Um, the dyslexia, so that's going in, that's coming into play now, but what about the kids who, who missed that window, you know, and then I know as a high school teacher, I've just had some kids who like, it seemed like a will thing, but it was truly, they just had dyslexia and it was just, they coped so well because they were mm -hmm. such bright kids and they had compensated and they had, you know, or pretended they didn't care. So like, um, I guess I'm asking a question, but also um, advocating for high school teachers also to get some um, assistance, because very often, we, not just English teachers, but history and science, there's lots of reading, and um, um, we aren't taught. We're taught about our subjects, and we're not really taught how to offer some help, particularly for dyslexia. Absolutely, and that will be part of our PD plan. We, we tried, we wanted to get it in this year for talking about dyslexia, you know, PD for all of our teachers um, at all levels for dyslexia, about dyslexia and MTSS and UDL and everything else came into play, but yes, that is part of our PD um, plan for, if we can squeeze it in this year, but definitely for next year of making sure that all our all our teachers have a, at least a general understanding of dyslexia, and then talking, working with Landmark on helping our, our high school teachers also with language-based learning techniques and strategies as well. Because you're right, they, get, they eventually get to high school. Um, and we're learning that, you know, we're planning that. You might hear more of that as the budget <laughs> presentation yes. comes about in the next few weeks. Um, and my other question is more about um, thinking about the community, and it was um, triggered by um, Elisa's lovely enthusiasm. Um, I know we have unified sports. Mm -hmm. I know we have, uh, there's another, I know we have best buddies. And we have, um, are there opportunities for high school students to, um, you know, instead of a study hall to be a TA for some of these specialized programs or, you know, walk to Oak Street and be a TA for specialized programs. So particularly kids who might want to be future educators. Yeah, so we've had um, some of our students, especially for um, the high school students that are involved with Best Pals, they have done that with some of our students. Um, for example, I've had one student who was working at um, uh, she was at ECDC and she had one of the high school students go with her to her, her placement. So we have had that in the past. Um, and I say this as a, you know, someone who probably won't retire in seven years and I really want to think like, how can we grow some more educators and, and um, a natural um, way that kids become interested in education is by teaching or helping or, or assisting or, or in either peer classrooms or the kids their age or the schools right there where they can walk over during a study hall. Yeah, I mean, I can speak for um, Best Pals. I mean, there have been some students that have come up to us and said, because of this program, I want to be a special education teacher. And that that's, you know, that's great. You know, that's, that's what we, you know, want it to happen. You know, so that's happened before. I don't know. We also have, um, Sometimes our, in fact, one of our BCBAs has done this where students with similar, a high school student with a similar profile of a middle school student who might be struggling, they've partnered them together. Yeah. So because it's very convenient, especially with the Oak Forest Man in High School kind of yeah. complexes, 
to do that easily. So we've done that. We've partnered high school students with middle school students. Um, and then um, we also have, um, you know, pre-COVID, some high school students would come, and middle, and middle school students would go to ECDC and do some um, work in the classrooms. Um, as well as we always take senior project students in who are have a you know want to do special ed or speech and language sure. as well so thank you you're welcome we have senior something? project students also jump in with general ed classrooms but i was thinking right. about uh, miss kelty kelly also visits um, the high school to talk to the early childhood yes. education mm -hmm. program to kind of provide them an overview and then i think that's what builds that connection mm -hmm. for kids to go visit and, and work mm -hmm. thank you Dave? um so the state just recently mandated the dyslexia screening. Did they provide any funding to support that? Or is uh, that? No. <laughs> Unfunded mandate. Just saying. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're not going to go tell details about why a particular student needs a $400 year placement because that is illegal and we don't do that. Um, and it's just not morally right, right? But there are, there are real reasons. And, you know, Jen, you talked about sort of the team process in like a very general way, just saying yeah. we're individualized, it's a long road, it's a big decision, but like it's a last resort, right? And I think like, I, I do sometimes wonder if there's like an area of education for people that don't understand like the intensity of right. need that needs an out of district placement and, and how like, emotional and, that decision is for the family. Yeah, too. right. No, of course. Yeah, and I think right. And I think people who have worked in special ed have stories they could tell about that are like would break your heart and. These kids that need those types of placements really need those types of placements. Absolutely. And there's no way something like that could be replicated in a public school. That is it correct. It would not be feasible. It would not be cost effective. If we were going to do something like that here, it would be $400,000 because we need so many experts and special equipment and special things that we don't have. And like to do that for one student, that would do that. And there's also an argument with those certain types of kids that the least restrictive environment for them might not be the public school because say, you know, they have multiple disabilities and use a communication device and have feeding tubes and like, if there's a whole bunch of kids just like that, wouldn't that be less restrictive for them in a way? Because then all those parents are dealing with are sort of living that life of being a parent for a student like that, whereas the parents here have no idea and they'll never have any idea no matter how much they can explain it. So, um, 
anyways, I think like when, when we look at out of district placements, I'm just sensitive to that when we start talking about money with it because it, yeah, it's expensive and yeah, it's a last resort and it's certainly not a quick and easy decision. And so I do think that I'm not quite sure how, but I, and I, I, I talked years ago to the CPAC about this, like is there a way that we can like dramatically accurately paint a picture about like how dire these situations are. They're like dangerous situations that are really are, you know, again, not to be really aired here because of confidentiality reasons, but maybe sort of like in general ways or stories that are sort of redacted from other districts or something like a way to really express like the intensity and um, of me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyone else? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Moving along, Mr. discussion action For discussion action tonight, we have some policies for first reading. Um, they include policy JLCD, administering medicines to students, JLCD-1, which is anaphylaxis, the procedure, EBCD, emergency closings, GBI, political activities of staff. So those were provided for you. Um, your policy subcommittee uh, worked on those particular policies moving forward. Um, is there a motion to move policies JLCD, JLCD1, EBCD, and GBI to a second reading as discussed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. Discussion? Questions? Yes, I have a question. Um, okay, so in the policy, it said, I, it said something about so the information for the safe storage of the prescription medication, like the nurse is going to give information about the safe storage, but then there's another bullet that says the student will keep a backup supply of the prescription with the school nurse. I just wasn't sure, like, maybe I'm missing it here. Is, is the kid holding their own medication? No. Okay. They're providing. Right, they're so not, like when they're able to self-administer. Oh, self-administer. Right, sorry, I should have been sorry. So, I just wasn't sure, and I read it a couple, and so it's like the nurse, the nurse gives information for safe storage, but like there's meds that should not be in kids' pockets. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if it's a controlled substance, obviously, like if it's prescribed controlled substance, then that should be secured somewhere. I just, I'm not sure if it's not here or if I'm missing it because that's Which? sort of a big deal, I think. So I'm. The rules for student self-administration yeah. of medication. I just don't see it anywhere. Like, are the meds at the nurse's office and the student just goes in and takes the meds themselves and leaves? Or are they in their backpack or in their locker and they take the meds? Because I feel like there could be a big difference. Which bullet are you talking about, though? Um, I'm looking for it. So, so Second there, bullet. I, so I would look at the second bullet. Yeah. At least that speaks to, I think, what you're asking. Right, so it says information for the safe storage of the prescription medication, but it doesn't actually say the medication will be in the nurse's office. Am I missing it? I don't know. This is what, like, when you're not in policy and don't, like, hear the discussions, I don't know. And maybe defaults well, to the original all medications will be stored in a locked cabinet. Okay. Yeah, it's implied. Okay, on the first page. Okay, yeah, yeah. I see that, yeah. Yes. All right, and so then, so it will be stored in a locked cabinet, but 
they can self-administer from the locked cabinet. They have to go to the nurse's office. If, okay. Yeah, unless it's a medication that they can self-administer without being locked up. You know what I mean? So say, say it's a medication that the, the doctor, the parent, and the nurse agree yeah. that like an you can keep a, pe a Pepsid in his pocket. Oh, or okay, okay. Oh, antacid or a okay. Tylenol or, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. Okay, I think it was that last bullet of the rule, the student will keep a backup supply with the school nurse, and I'm like, where's the rest? Yes. <laughs> but okay, okay. Okay, that makes sense. I can guarantee that they are not keeping a controlled substance in their house. Yes, right. And as, yeah. Well, I mean, if the nurse notifies. <laughs> 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 the nurse doesn't know about it. Like, can you guarantee them? No, if the nurse knows about it. Right? Yeah. Okay, thanks. All right, so we have a motion and a second. But we'll come in motion. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Motion carries. Uh, B, Mr. Jigger. Okay. We're here to present our capital improvement um, request. So we've gone through the process. I'm going to let Mrs. Goodman chime in in a minute to walk through that. But I want to thank you for your work, um, which really begins um, in the fall, where Miriam reaches out to um, each of our schools and tries to get a sense of what they are um, looking at requests for. Capital, uh, capital request through the through the process we have in the town of Franklin. Um, also, she reaches out to different departments such as special education, student services, teaching and learning, and um, works with our facilities and our technology department as well to put together some requests. And um, I'll kick it to you to kind of walk through that process. Um, just briefly, you'll see. You may notice that there are two memos. Um, and we'll get into some detail on the first memo, which we um, uh, put together prior to the uh, winter break, and then um, a, re a re revised copy um, for you tonight to look at as we prepare for next steps, which is to go in front of um, the FinCom for capital, um, capital request hearings, which is uh, scheduled for tomorrow. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, you have before you the total request um, for $996,500 um, broken down by prior, in priority order, we are looking for um, $400,000 for K-5 English language arts curriculum to replace aged materials. We haven't made a purchase uh, of, of curriculum in that area since at least 2005. Uh, so we are looking for, uh, as, as a result of a needs analysis and program review, we are looking for K-5 uh, high-quality children curriculum resources in the amount of $400,000. Uh, some technology requests totaling $469,500. First being replacing laptops at the Franklin High School that are approaching four years old at this point. Uh, at a, there are 150 laptops scheduled, with, well, that we'd like to schedule to be replaced. Uh, estimated cost of $1,250 each for a total of $187,500. Also looking to replace the TV studio at Franklin High School, which is approaching nine years old. We anticipate that cost to be $282,000. Uh, request out for a special education van uh, to support uh, to replace an existing wheelchair van uh, that would uh, support our students in specialized programs that you heard about earlier tonight. 
uh, also looking for some food service equipment, um, $50,000 for, uh, sorry, the, the van total request was for $77,800. I'm sure I had big uh, comments on that. And uh, the food service equipment, uh, looking to install a double combi oven at the Parmenter Elementary School for $50,000, which would allow for the expansion of fresh food production and more on scratch cooking at that site. In terms of facilities, our number one priority for facilities was um, increased uh, um, security and limiting pedestrian access at the entryways at the Keller Sullivan Complex and at the Remington Jefferson Complex. So those items in total, uh, to total the $996,500 original request that was put together. Um, having then heard from the town administrator that our allocation would approach $400,000, we then um, became, um, we sharpened our pencils a little bit more. Uh, and, and just um, because it wasn't mentioned earlier, we did co have conversations with the budget subcommittee about um, this proposal. Uh, and this is uh, where we landed. K through five English language arts curriculum is pared down to $325,000, again, as our number one priority to have curriculum in front of students in the area of English language arts. Um, this would cover a one-year contract. It would need it would need to be funded again next year. Um, we do have um, some some initial quotes. We anticipate that they might be reduced um, once we uh, further identify exactly the materials that we are looking for and how many. Uh, but that is where we are at this point in time. Uh, we also have an opportunity to apply for grant funding. Not so sure we're going to get it. Um, but we will uh, look into that as well and it may um, allow for a longer commitment than that one year funding. Uh, second item on the request would be $75,000 to replace teacher laptops at the high school. Um, that would um, fund the replacement of about 60 laptops uh, instead of the 150 that we were originally uh, hoping to, to replace. Uh, the improvement of the entryways at the Keller Sullivan Complex and the Remington Jefferson Complex for a total of $80,000 is also included in the request from the town administrator in the facilities, uh, school facilities budget. So the $400,000 was for schools plus $80,000 in the school facilities budget for a total that you'll see um, on, the on the town administrator's report to the FinCom tomorrow night. Uh, of $480,000 being recommended um, to the to the FinCom for funding, um, as you as you know, and and as will be discussed tomorrow, um, capital is funded through free cash, um, total free cash certified by the town is $4.3 million, of which there are um, certain financial policies uh, that the town administrator, I'm sure, will talk about a little bit more tomorrow, but. Of that $4.3 million after the policies uh, and other adjustments are made, the town uh, is allocating a $480,000 um, to the schools for those items that I just mentioned. Uh, happy to answer any questions you might have. Thank you. So just to clarify, we are, once we're done with the discussions, we'll be voting on the 1-4-2023 memo, not the December 28, 2022 memo. I just wanted to make sure that we were all set. Um, okay, 
So, is there a motion to to? All right, we're gonna do the motion, and then we'll discuss. Is there a motion to approve the FY23 capital improvement requests as discussed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right. So discussion questions, Camille. Yeah, it's a lot. It it's just the replacement of the teacher laptops. In the original document, it was nine years, and then it said four. That was a typo, and it should have been. It was it was fixed in the original document, but then. Okay, because I was like, how can someone operate with a nine-year-old computer? And I was just, I was like, mouth agape sitting here. Okay, it's four-year. They're they're approaching four years old. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, I have no questions after that. Dave. Um, thank you. Uh, so, um, obviously, we had to cut a lot. You, you had to cut a lot. I, I didn't. Um, which is always a shame. You know, there, there's so many great initiatives uh, and programs uh, that you know kind of were were talked about and highlighted in the first draft. Uh, but I, I really do uh, appreciate what we have uh, right now and moving forward. Um, a couple of questions, really just in regards to the, the K-5 to um, curriculum. So one, you know, uh, you mentioned it might be approximately you know, uh, 325K if we do it for one year, but then we might have to, to repurchase it or renew uh, for a second year. What would be the, the cost difference if we were to just kind of outright be able to purchase it in for a two-year deal, for, uh, for instance? Yeah, so so just to clarify, we, we can't cut what we don't have, but our request was was close to $996,000, and and we, as a team, made the decisions to prioritize that, so I just wanted to clarify that point. Um, relative to the English language arts curriculum, um, I believe the quote for a two-year plan was in the neighborhood of $368,000 um, for, for curriculum materials to cover um, K through five for two years. If we were only able to afford one year and then to, to renew again for another year, the, the following, would it be the same, you know, 325 one year and 325 another year? That's correct. So it's a, it's a substantial savings if we're able to, to be afforded uh, the, the money up front to be able to purchase for, for two years or more. Is that correct? Is that my understanding? Yes, yes. And what I would just add to is that it's really atypical to do a one-year curriculum purchase. I don't know in my history of working in education to do a one-year, especially a core program, mm -hmm. because oftentimes what you get with a core program are consumable materials. And sure, there's some digital licensure, right? And then there's some leveled readers. There's a, a variety of, of tools and resources. So to do a one-year is really not kind of industry standard, I would say. Just to add 325 from a capital request, if we were looking to extend to get a two-year contract, we would just have to reprioritize budget funding within our budget to make up the difference. Does that make sense as far as trying to get to 368? Now, there's three different quotes from some um, high-quality materials, but we're going through a process of a literacy review. We have teachers who've joined a district-wide committee to review um, review that, and um, Dr. Rogers um, with Dr. Frazier are going to be leading that. So just to, to put that out there, and it's um, 
it's my understanding as well, just talking in communications with the town administrator, that um, we're getting consistent funding um, with many of the major departments, is what I was told. So, can, can I add one more piece, just because I want to be transparent in this process as well with teachers? So we have five viable um, K-5 curriculum resources that we uh, that were brought to us through Hill for Literacy, who we did some consulting with that were rated, highly rated by both Curie and Ed Reports, which are um, a local and a, a national independent agency who reviews curriculum. And so those five resources are actually going to the committee tomorrow. And that committee is gonna, now, and that's why it's hard for us to like pinpoint the quote and the amount. So we've, we, you know, called of, of all these vendors and said, hey, we need a quote now. We need a one year, a three year, a five year. They're like, we don't do that. But we did the best that we could. So I think those quotes are just our, an estimate and then coming out of tomorrow's meeting the goal is for that committee to narrow to two to three that they'll then more deeply explore you know strengths challenges within the program how they align to you know our portrait of a graduate and our goals within k-5 education and then move forward a recommendation to the superintendent so there, there's no kind of you know we're going with a quote, a three hundred twenty thousand dollar quote, because it came from one company. So I just want to. No, I appreciate that, and I definitely, you know, yeah, not holding anyone to any one yeah. particular number, but at least the, the big picture is there's substantial savings that that we can afford to the town if we're able to to secure a little bit more money to be able to purchase it more than just a one year contract. Is that correct? Yes. C companies they design um, the contracts so that. The longer you commit to um, a company, the cheaper it is. So it could drop. It could go from uh, a one year at 325 to a six year, where you're averaging not 325 per year, but it could be 100,000 a year. Do you know? Mm -hmm. So um, it could be a 600,000 dollar purchase, but it gets you six years. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A typical, yes. um, a typical purchase is five to six years. This kind of I'm cheaper the longer my husband keeps me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I apologize. I, and Dr. Rogers, well, that last uh, comment. So typically, typically. A, a typical purchase of curriculum at that for a K-5 core kind of program is five to six years. Typically, how, how the purchase mm -hmm. and curriculum revision cycle roll runs. And, and, and then also too, if you don't like kind of big picture, so you know we're going, uh, you know there's a discussion tomorrow evening. Um, you know we've had discussions already, uh, you know for that that 480. Does this? How could this uh, number get get moved or get adjusted? Or is that you know like are we going to find out tomorrow? This is kind of where it's set. Well, so, so tomorrow is a FinCon meeting. Um, I don't they can have their discussion and, and make some decisions as to where they think the number should fall. Ultimately, the decision rests with the town council as to how much they're going to allocate for any one of these uh, items for us or for any other department in the town. Um, so, so, yes, it could change. Thank you. And, and again, you know, it's really just to, to, to keep hammering that that point home uh, of, of just, you know, the, the cost effectiveness of to be able to extend that contract would just be saving uh, so much, you know, uh, money for the district, for the entire Franklin community. That's all. Thank you. Yeah, and I guess about continue on with this theme because I'm surprised at the, the, the decrease from one to another. Um, so thank you for outlining this and making this clear. Um, but if we, if we do the one year, we're going to definitely do the second year. So we're, 
it's not like we're gonna do one and done and, and, and not mm -hmm. continue on. Correct. The, the goal is to go through a process where we uh, commit to a curriculum yeah. that um, we've built consensus around and we're picking it for the right educational purposes and then we commit to moving forward and you can't you know it's a curriculum implementation is not a, um, a, a quick process as far as like getting it in the hands of teachers and training and time and professional development so it's something that this is a, a big deal to make a commitment to um, a core curriculum and it's something that we haven't done since 2005 18 years so so yes we want to commit and um, you know we'll look to request um, the funding through the capital budget process and you know who, we can't predict what the future will um, tell but certainly you know we're an academic institution you know we're here for teaching and learning so we prioritized what would get closest to um, helping our teachers have the tools and materials and resources and strategies they need to ultimately uh, directly impact the kids so that's where we've decided to put the emphasis with our request. Okay. So yeah, and then unfortunately, if we don't do it the right way, we're gonna we're gonna pay more. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, um, I don't. It doesn't make sense at the town to want to pay more for something they can get at a reduced rate. But it also means all the other things on our list keep every single year falling off the list. Yeah. Every single year, a van for kids in a wheelchair. Like we're tossing that. We have to. We're being forced to take that off the list. I, so, I yeah, so I guess to, with the reduction of these items, what are the ramifications at that point? So I know we'll, we'll, we'll have less laptops for the teachers. Um, <coughs> what happens if a laptop that has been replaced stops working and during the next year, are we, what are, what's our recourse? So uh, the tech department will repair what they can um, to uh, repair or replace laptops as they can. Um, I think the bigger ramifications for technology down the road are the fact that you can you can see some of the five-year plan that's included in the packet um, and some of the replacement devices next year. We are going to need to replace Chromebooks at um, at $125,000 at minimum right off the bat. We're going to need to replace 500. Um, we have projectors at Franklin High School that, again, approaching nine or so years old, will be ten years old next year. Those big four, those four big projectors that you see at the high school, um, $240,000 looking to replace those. The, the TV studio that um, we're taking off the list is, again, $282,000. If something in the TV studio breaks, we can't teach TV production. We have to fix it or figure out how to fix it, and that's not necessarily a cheap fix. It could be a forty fifty thousand dollar fix. Um, so, so those are things we're aware of, things that we're cognizant of while we're building next year's budget, because we're not in a position at this point to be able to replace all that equipment. And then, is it uh, realistic that while we have these closed now, if we wait till next year, the cost to do the same replacement would be even more expensive at that point. I, I can't estimate what a cost for a curriculum would be next year. Um, I can only tell you that we will make the funds go as far as we can. When the time comes and the committee has determined what the purchase is going to be, we will purchase the materials that we need for as long a period of time as we can. 
if that means, as you heard the superintendent say, if that means we have to supplement it slightly from our um, operating budget, we may do that. Um, we may get the grant funding. You know, we will we will do the best we can for a long as long a period as we can to support our English language curriculum. Um, because as you heard Dr. Rogers say, this is usually a six-year commitment. We've been more so talking about like, the other items, replacing the laptop, the, the studio. Like, I, I know to be, was the, this, was, this wasn't the first show we received a, a quote for, to replace the studio, correct? Or, or did we do it in the years past? I, I'm not sure we have a, a final quote at this point okay. as to um, exactly how much it would cost to replace the items in the um, TV studio. I know that uh, Tim Raposa has been working with uh, the teacher in Franklin High School to identify the, um, <coughs> the needs would be for that program. Uh, and if it, if it were um, funded, again, we would, we would make that go as far as we can with the equipment that we need, there, the, the um, video cameras so that we can get the morning news going and announcements and, and um, that kind of thing. Uh, thank you. Dick. Uh, thank you for putting this together and providing us with this information. Um, it's, of course, not easy. We need to you know, factor in all these, these reductions and you know, um, balance the different priorities that we have. So I appreciate you know, the thoughtfulness and hard work you put into that. Um, and yeah, I'll echo the sentiments of my colleagues with the um, yeah, frustration and sadness that you know, not everything can be you know, taken care of once and how you know, putting off costs isn't necessarily um, the uh, wisest financial decision in the long term, but it's the reality of the situation. So, you know, thank you for providing great this. What would happen if we didn't approve this? I'm just wondering. Um, if you didn't approve this, we'd have to go. Well, you know, I, I think uh, I, I think that. Ultimately, if the town's going to allocate, you know, four hundred thousand dollars to the schools, we're going to look to spend it. Now, if you don't approve it and you don't want to request for it, then there likely wouldn't be an allocation. You know? So, okay. And so, what if we didn't approve that and we approved the December twenty-eighth amount? You could do that, right? The town still gets to decide. Of course. No, I know. I know. Yeah. I do know that. Sure. I'm just, it's hard, it's hard, it's, and I, I do, you know, as Dave McNeil just said, I, I appreciate all the work that you put into this. These aren't hard decisions. It's, I mean, these are hard decisions. Okay. These aren't easy decisions. These are hard decisions because it looks like what was on the initial memo was really important. And then there were additional requests that were actually not even able to go on that additional memo. So it's not, you know what I mean? Like this wasn't the wish list. This was like a, this is the 28th one. This was like a, a pared down realistic list of critical needs. And then that had to be cut or pared down. So I think, I think too, as Camille had said, like the wheelchair van, that just doesn't feel right. That just doesn't feel right. So do we, do we have students that you know, we're obligated to transport our students. 
And so do we have students now who need a van with a wheelchair that don't have a, like wheelchair access that don't have a van with wheelchair access? No, so we have okay. two We have two wheelchair vans on the on the road. This was gonna replace the older wheelchair vans, which would allow for more seating for students who weren't in wheelchairs, which would then okay. increase our capacity to transport students. Okay, which saves us money right. down the road. Which right. saves us money down the road. Because, and That's if fair. this wheelchair van does break because it is older, yeah. granted it doesn't have as many models, but it's older, then we have to contract with Vanpool to transport these students in wheelchairs. Right, that was my next question. So that's what we do. So right. by replacing the older wheelchair van, it increases our capacity to transport other students who aren't in wheelchairs mm -hmm. as well. And our, you know, it's an old van, it's rattly, so we have to be very picky, choose wisely of who we put on the van with the students in wheelchairs because yeah. it can be regulating. So um, we can manage, and I'm gonna use the word manage, mm -hmm. with the current fleet we have. Um, but I do worry with the increased number of students with disabilities, ECDC students with disabilities, with physical disabilities, that we could get in a tight spot next year. Mm -hmm. But at the moment, we can manage. Part of the reason for us sharing just the big picture is just to make sure that the, the entire committee had the full scope. And you know, you can expect in future requests that we're this will come back up yeah. again I mean, next year. Yeah. We, we, have we have a plan. To, if you look at the five-year plan, I mean, we have to start replacing cycle. some yeah. of these older vans. Our van, I and our van driver are getting a little concerned because our vans are, are getting up there. And if we lose a van, it's tough because there's not, van pool's not there to help us all the time because of their lack of vehicles. Right, exactly. So if we had a van that broke down, for example, on the side of the road with a Van full of kids, for example, that's its own little nightmare of an afternoon Correct. or morning. But then, like, okay, so if that van's out of commission, then you have to contact a van pool who can't even transport their own kids or call somebody else. And then that ends up being what, like, what's the cost difference between like having one of our own vans transport a group of kids to like contacting out to van pool or somebody else? Like, that's not dollar for dollar. No, it's not dollar for dollar. It's slightly more expensive. Yes. Yes. No, and we don't keep a fleet where we have an extra van just sitting. We have one spare van. One spare van, thank um, goodness. Okay. <laughs> so if there was an emergency that day, another Correct. van could pick them yes. up as long as they didn't have wheelchairs and go somewhere. Correct. Thanks for answering those questions. So the original memo was for how much? Nine? $996,500. Okay. And I just, I went back um, just historically just to kind of fill my curiosity. Nothing with while I've been on school committee, we haven't received a, a cut so, so large mm -hmm. to our, to the capital request. So that would be 50%. You know, 996 down to four and change. Um, is there is there a reason for such a drastic? And what's different this year that what might cause the town to give us such a drastic cut? I don't. Do you know? I don't know. So I would venture to say that in past years we have. Mm -hmm. It is possible that we have had a better idea of what our 
excuse me, what our allocation might have been before putting this together. Mm -hmm. At this point, you know, when I put that original memo together based on our requests, we didn't know what our allocation was. It only came through in the middle, in between the scheduling of the budget subcommittee meeting, like in that day that is posted and then the next day. You know, the budget subcommittee will will tell you they that they got a draft memo that night because we knew the that the amount had got had been posted at four hundred thousand or four hundred and eighty with the um, pedestrian traps. So so I think had we known a little bit earlier we would have put a plan together to come closer to that four hundred and eighty thousand dollars. But even that plan would have not included these things that are That's essential. Correct. You didn't invent them so that you would, you know, just spend with a spending. You mm -hmm. like put them forward because they're important. That's correct. What are what's the typical amount in other years? The allocation. I think it has varied in years. Um, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's varied. I, I mean, again, it's based on free cash. Free cash has been pretty high in the past two years. Um, and so, so how the town administrator allocates it and how the council uh, appropriates it um, has varied over the past several years. Thank you very much. Did you have something else, Dean? Well, I would like to say, I know I talked about this too at, at the budget, but um, yeah, but you know, to both your points, we can talk about you know here's a you know nine hundred thousand uh, dollar list, which in and of itself didn't even include every other capital improvement. Um, you know, I, I think it. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate that not everything can be funded, but it is great to see it in black and white to say here are all of our goals and and then some. Uh, but here's. You know, this is what we're being allocated. So here's how we're prioritizing that and funding that. Because I, I do think it's it's helpful just informationally uh, to the community at large to say there's there's a lot of stuff you know out there that needs replacement and that's just going to you know technology you know if the laptop fails and the cost that that's going to you know uh, incur if the the TV studio if that's no longer available that you know Panther TV is is down and what are the costs incurred on that it's going to be substantially more. And so it, it, it is important, and uh, hopefully you know, we might see this in the future as well, just the, you know, here's everything. You know, here's the entire, you know, kitchen sink, and, you know, but unfortunately, here's what we're allocated, and here's what we're actually able to, to put forward. Yeah, so in just, I mean, looking at last year's, it was $1.5 million in capital requests. Requests or allocation? Allocation. Oh, $1.5. I can't do the math, but like, what is I mean, it's not like a wedding registry where you put like, oh, I'll put the smoker on there and maybe, maybe my, you know, future husband's rich parents, rich friends will get it for me. These are like things that we need to run the school, to educate the kids, to serve more fresh food, to give kids opportunities to do TV production, to explore. To transport children in wheelchairs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so back to the, the curriculum. Are we able to break up the two-year program into installments? So instead of paying 400 up front, we do two and two? No. 
No, generally when, when they're giving you that type of a, um, of a quote, it's because they expect payment up front for that period of time. And then, pardon my ignorance on this, uh, if I have to up my, my expertise, but can, knowing that it's 400, it's covering two years, is this a way that we can stretch this over two budgets and take an advance in essence on next year's budget, the, the following year's budget to pay for the full 200 and 400? Um, so that we're not doing a one-year program where we know what we're going to do two years at minimum. Yeah, I, I guess um, that again would depend, I, I think, on the company and the vendor that um, we would purchase from as to how how they can structure the payment. I'm sorry, sorry, I'm meeting with, with the town in terms of. Oh, I'm not going to spend money we don't have. The town, the town council puts forth an appropriation to the school department. I'm not going to spend money anymore. Okay. All right. So we have motion and a second. Any more discussion questions? Well, I was at least going to propose that we vote on the other one. Um, I was just asking questions. I think we have a motion and a second, so we have to vote on this. And if this doesn't. Yeah, if you want to amend, um, you can, I think, and then we'll go back to the original. If you don't want to, we're going to vote on this. But what would the amendment be? Like add yes. in a la carte yes. stuff from the first Which one? Which wouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. right. You can't get extra money. Again. <laughs> Just like you can't fund everybody's field trip. There's a thing. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, but why can't we put forward what we think we? You can put forward anything. You, Doesn't mean it's going to get funded. Right. The, the other. Right. But to see, like, okay, okay, fine. If, if yeah. I could, if I could just add, I think the the goal um, when we present um, through each of these rounds um, is to ask for the money, which we've been told. I think to. To, to paint the picture of, of the things that we um, would request, I think is part of, of that conversation. But I will say the allotted amount is is what we were notified around being funded. So I think if the case is that we, we put forth a memo that was updated based on what um, each of the departments was told was allotted, and we received our allotment, which is what we're working off of, um, which is why we prepared and kind of worked and sharpened the pencil, I think somebody said, was to put forth. Um, as a school leader, I'm advocating for all of it and wanting all of that, um, but I just wanted to just ground the conversation and kind of the what we know, the information that we have, and then you know put that forth to you just for um, considerations and we're aware of you know the needs that we have and we'll continue to advocate for that um, beyond just this this meeting and this table. Um, but just wanted you to know that as we move forward. It's not to say that, um, you know, we we talked about how we would use the funding if we had 900,000, um, but the reality is, is that's not what has been instructed or um, provided to us. So I think it's just a matter of, I wanted to put that out there and say we went through a process, this is what we would um, have requested, but this is ultimately, if these are the parameters, this is what we would prioritize. Does that make sense as far as? Yes, but is it possible in the presentation to say, this is what we need. This yes. is what we need. Yep. And then we list them in that order, and once you hit 400,000, we're done. But 
I, I just don't want these things to disappear as right. though well, that's the FinCom is going to be like, oh, that's all they needed. They need to know what is going unfunded. So in the presentation, I would, okay. I guess that that would be my advocacy for the full showing the whole thing. Where we were and where we landed as a result of the information. And I mean, next year we'll be coming right back asking for $325,000 for another year of a curriculum which will knock off anything else we wanted. Yeah. So it's all. Do we need an ELA curriculum? We do? Oh, okay. It's important? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, it's a good question. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's expensive. We don't need it. Oh, what? I mean, we have an illustrious audience online, but I just want this conversation, I don't want it to disappear in the presentation. Mm -hmm. I, have two, I have one question. So, how are you going to choose the lucky teachers that get six, that gets a new laptop? Like, how? There's, a, there's an order based on yeah, um, I, distribution. I oh, I see. So they, they keep and maintain a. There's a refresh list. Yeah. Per, okay. And those with the oldest laptops get replaced yeah. first. And if there's a batch, then there's just a, 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 a the tech department has like a list that they, and they'll look at the history of a computer and say. Mm -hmm. This one's been giving us problems where, oh, so they kind of look at putting those sense. at the top. So just, gotcha. that's my understanding from okay. technology. That makes sense. So it's based on the device, not on the person. It's the device. That's great. That's fair. You said you had two questions. Yeah. The other one, it's not really a question. So I feel, so, and this is what, like you saying, I just don't want these to disappear. Because I do feel like every year we, we you know, yeah. here that not necessarily just capital, but the whole budget. Yeah. These are critical needs. We hear critical needs, and there's you know what eight critical needs, and then like those end up sort of disappearing in a way. You know, like as far as like we remember, but like as far as the next steps, they they don't really matter, and they're critical. Right. But I this is how we quote do so much with so yes. little because all of those things disappear and then the next year it's like we need the math curriculum then it's next year and it's something always bumps it and I think that there's a lack of understanding that doing so much with so little is unacceptable and insulting to hear I think this is something important to bring up at the upcoming joint budget subcommittee meeting that way things don't fall to the wayside or okay. keep them on the radar I feel like this, to, at the risk of being overdramatic at 10 o'clock p.m., I feel yep. like this is like the beginning of the downslide of the Franklin Public Schools. Like, I, like yep. I, I just feel like this is where we start saying, like, these are really important and we can't fund them. These are really important and we can't fund them. And it's going to continue because, like, then at some point, a van's going to break down, laptops, whatever. Like, you're going to need to, like, take that money from somewhere else which takes money from somewhere else, which takes, you know what I mean? Like, you'll make it work, of course you will, because you always do, because you're great at that, but like, at the cost of what? Like, that's what, at some point, we're gonna start feeling it. At some point, the teachers, the students are gonna start feeling it. I would say they already feel it. The, I would say the teachers and the staff already feel it, so. 
And so this, you know, and this becomes a bigger discussion than school committee. It's a bigger discussion. It becomes a really like what again when we start talking about budget, we fund what we value, and like what is our community value? Does our community value the strong public schools that we've had for so long? And like as our costs keep going up, as far as healthcare and all our stuff, you know, all the the drivers that I can't speak eloquently to, but as our costs keep going up, like things are gonna have to be continually cut. And like, this is what it's gonna feel like every time to sit here. And it feels not good, so. Okay, so we have a motion and a second. Mm -hmm. Vote will come in the motion. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Nay. All those opposed? Nay. Okay. Motion carries. Discussion oh. only items, none. Information matters. Superintendent evaluation elites. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no updates on that. Okay. Budget, Dave McNeil. Budget met last Wednesday, the 4th, our first session of the cycle. We discussed the FY23 capital improvement requests, which are detailed just now, as well as an update on ECDC enrollment and an overview of the upcoming budget timeline. We don't currently have the next meeting scheduled, but we will be getting that on the books soon as we're eager to work on the FY24 budget. And joint budget subcommittee, yeah. I heard we're going to be having one, maybe? Meeting in, in March. Perfect. Policy, when, Dave. When in March, sorry. It's just a... March. A month? March. At some point. Yes. Okay. Get that well, Policy, Dave Callahan? So, um, we have our next meeting on the 25th uh, that was moved, uh, was going to be tomorrow, but we uh, cleared the schedule so that way we've got to look at FinCom and all of this discussion kind of happening tomorrow. So, January 25th will be our next meeting. Okay. Community relations, none. Space, needs, and facilities assessment, Al? Yep. Uh, so, we do have a um, meeting with the team on Thursday at 5.30. And then what's the next redistricting advisory? So, so that meeting is on January 17th, so we can today. Um, so far, don't we just get into the redistricting and stuff? Or, sure. Yeah. Um, so far we've had, what, uh, two meetings, three meetings? It's, it's all learned, learned. Two. Uh, two meetings, thank you. Um, where the first meeting was really around establishing our guiding principles for the committee and, and really how we're going to value the schools. The second meeting was looking at the um, components uh, or breaking up the town into components, which are in essence the puzzle pieces that we would use to um, make the various districts. Um, so we had the first pass of that. Um, and then on the 17th, we'll look at the updated components of the town, along with reviewing um, the first pass of a, of a configuration, which has multiple scenarios that we would look at. That'll be a good discussion. Okay. Don't go away. Joint PCC. Uh, we have not met for the year so okay. far. Uh, so our first meeting is on January 23rd. Right. School Wellness Advisory Council. We had a great meeting this morning. It was very positive and productive. We met this morning with our wellness coach. We reviewed our goals. We've identified a handful of goals and we decided to focus on two over the next couple months. Um, the first one is to um, increased communication around and participation in the school meal program and the second is to increase physical movement into classroom activities and our next meeting is on february 7th right. uh, CPAC. Um, the cpac newsletter was shared with the community last week in an email from the district on wednesday the eight, uh, january 18th the cpac will have a brief board meeting immediately followed by a basic rights workshop where all are invited um, so that goes over the laws that um, the district folks had reviewed just very briefly at the beginning, but it goes through much more clearly, and as far as like parents 
um, rights and how parents have power in the process and um, how parents can be informed. It's very helpful. And CPAC is hosting a parent support meetup at the Birchwood Cafe on Thursday, January 19th. They're hoping to hold those um, monthly now, and all are invited. Uh, regarding the, the SWAC for um, the school meal. Yes. Uh, will you ever look at more of that one? Um, Mary, that's not my subgroup, so Mary might be able to elaborate. Sure. Sure, so uh, we went through an exercise uh, based on our school wellness advisory policy that identified particular areas that we felt we wanted to look more into in depth. One of the things that came out of that was increasing participation as a long-term goal. Our participation is, is pretty good right now because of the price, which is free. Um, so so um, not making any assumptions as to whether meals are going to be free in the future or not, but thinking about providing students what they want to eat um, that also meets the guidelines. We were talking about ways that we could um, improve participation. Um, marketing was a topic that came up. Marketing and communications um, is, a, is an area where we think that in the school food service area we can improve. Um, at this point in time, it's, it's pretty much a staffing issue we need to we need to really focus on that area. And right now, the food service director has, has other higher priorities, um, namely feeding kids. Um, so so that's, that's one area that we think we want to develop a plan. And one of the things we're looking at is the possibility of having an intern from Framingham State uh, that might be able to start doing some work around a marketing plan, um, having a, better, a bigger presence on social media, um, having some surveys go out to students about kinds of foods they'd like to see on the menu, um, starting to prioritize them somewhat, um, narrowing the goal to the high school first and then expanding it out. So that's a little bit more of what we discussed this morning. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Um, substance abuse task force, formerly known as substance abuse task force, now known as mental health and well-being task force, um, we had we also had a wonderful meeting this morning um, <laughs> up here in the training room. Um, so our next critical conversations will be held on March 9th from 7 to 9 p.m. in the Horace Mann Auditorium. Um, the topic will be critical conversations. What our kids want you to know. Um, it will start with a survey to all our middle school and high school students of what would you like your parents to know or the adults in your world to know, um, as well as some other questions. Um, and then we will be providing resources to students at that time. So then we will have our panel discussion. Um, we have a keynote speaker who is a former Franklin High School graduate who is going to come and speak to us, um, as well as facilitate our panel of high school students who are going to let us know of what they want their parents to know. Um, and then we will have breakout rooms with other adults and possibly student resources um, staff who will provide questions and answers for parents. What was the date again? March 9th from 7 to 9 p.m. And this one, don't go away. DEI committee? DEI committee. Um, we have a next meeting. Next meeting is um, January 25th. January 25th? Okay, perfect. There you go. All right. Uh, consent agenda, Mr. Deer. 
The MWHB, is that the new acronym for the I know, right? SATF. I'm just I know. Trying to... We haven't come up with an Yes, I guess it would be. We can play around. We can play around. With it. We'll spell it out. <laughs> okay. I do like the change, though. Mm -hmm. yeah. I recommend approval of the minutes from the December 13th, 20, uh, 2022 school committee meeting as detailed. I recommend declaring the attached list of food service equipment as surplus. I recommend acceptance of a check for $41.55 from the Square One Art Fundraiser for in-house enrichment and supplemental supplies at Oak Street as detailed. I recommend acceptance of a check for $285 from BJ's Wholesale Club for in-house enrichment. I recommend acceptance of a check for $5,000 from Thomas A. Wagner for the Thomas A. Wagner Junior Scholarship. Uh, re recurring trip in state I recommend approval of the request for, from Frank Wood to take the FHS DECA students to Boston, Mass, from March 9th to March 11th, 2023, for the DECA state competition as detailed. I recommend approval of the request for Frank Wood to take the FHS DECA students to Orlando, Florida, for a recurring trip from uh, April 21st through April 25th for the DECA international competition as detailed. So, Elise and I were just briefly talking because at the December 13th meeting, there were a few of us who were not here. Okay. So I'm going to do a vote for consent agenda item A, right. where we will abstain. Mm -hmm. And then we will do another one for B through, uh, let's see, G. So, is there a motion to approve consent agenda item A as detailed? So Is there a second? Second. Any discussion questions? All right, so seeing none, a vote will come on the motion. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Um, and, okay, so we have three aye, three abstain, one absent. Just making sure. Our minute taker got that. All right. Okay. So that's, that's it. Carries. All right. So is there a motion to approve the consent agenda items B through G as detailed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. Discussion questions? Okay. Seeing none, vote will come on a motion. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? All right. Carries. All right. Next, we have citizens' comments. In the spirit of open communication, the committee will hold a public participation segment, also called Citizens' Comments, about matters not related to an agenda item within the school committee's purview. Comments are limited to three minutes and must be addressed to the committee. Citizens' Comments segments are not debates or Q&A sessions. It is intended to offer citizens an opportunity to express their opinions on issues of school committee business within the school committee purview. The committee will listen to, but not respond to any comment made. Are there any citizens in the audience, in person or online, who would like to make a comment on an item not on tonight's agenda and falls within the committee's purview? I see Mr. Sherlock. If you could state your name, address, and keep within the three minutes. I'll try. Steve Sherlock, Ted Lara Thrive, uh, contributor to Franklin Mads, Franklin Public Radio. I revised my comments based upon discussion prior. So, just background in regards to the finance committee meeting tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. The agenda was posted by the town on Friday. I shared it on 
Sunday and then reshared the memo specifically this morning so that any residents could look specifically to see the uh, drop from the total of the free cash available versus what was going to be allocated. This is the first pass of the capital. They've set aside 750000 to cover in case the snow budget uh, exceeds what is already there. If the snow budget does not, that money becomes then available for additional requests. So I appreciate the, the passion and the interest and the frustration on your part, but from my role seeing others, every other department in the town is in the same boat. Mm -hmm. And some of them, and I would recommend you, at least have some people to support the administration at the FinCon meeting tomorrow night so that they can hear it if they don't hear it tonight. Second piece, strictly with Barry Franklin TV, Franklin Radio hat on. Happy New Year. And those microphones in front of you, it's less in fact for you, but I have to be equitable in my approach to all the meetings that I participate in. The microphones are your best guide so that people hear what you actually say. And there are some folks then you may watch from time to time where they're leaning back and are going one side or the other and their voice does not get clearly captured. So just a friendly reminder as you're starting this calendar year, use the microphone, keep it directly in front of you, speak to it and they'll hear you and your voice will be recorded there forever and ever. Maybe not, you won't want that, but that's beside the point. People at least want to know what you're doing, because especially tonight, there's passion and there's desire, and thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you, Steve. I see two on Zoom. Um, first, we have Kyle Thompson. Kyle, if you could state your name and address, and um, just a reminder to please keep within the three minutes. Um, Tina, did you... I think you have to give him permission. Okay, can, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Okay, Kyle Thompson, Mercer Lane. Um, on section 3A of the agenda, the policy first readings, one through four, um, you didn't actually, you didn't read the policies or discuss or note any of the changes in the policies. So I was just wondering, could you read those policies so the public had knowledge of what you were voting on um, in the meeting tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. Um, Megan Benson, if you could state your name, address, and uh, please remember to keep it within the three minutes. Thank you. Uh, Tina. Hi there. Uh, can oh. you hear me? Yes. Okay, um, so actually that, I had a similar question. Um, I, it, in terms of the first policy readings that were recommended to a second reading, um, I was also just wondering if there was a reason that they weren't actually read. I know in other meetings, um, it's been shared how the policy has been revised and then kind of any of the substantial changes were highlighted so I don't know if that's the case for every meeting, um, but also hoping you could shine some light on that, either you know now or at least at some point direct folks to where these changes can be viewed. Thank you. Um, 
So I think that maybe for in new business, we could at the next meeting when we have the second reading, right. if we can have we that can done. Do that. that wasn't um, intentional. We okay. can certainly. No, yeah. I mean, I get it. All right, perfect. All right, moving on, we have new business, Mr. Chan. New business, as I stated earlier in the meeting, um, earlier, uh, Mr. Hannon will be here to present the program of studies and talk through um, what's occurring at Franklin High. Also, we have um, a district that's looking to enter the Accept Collaborative, and um, that requires a vote by our school committee, uh, in addition to a vote by the board of directors, which uh, I'm a board of director just by my title um, within Franklin representing our district. So that will come before you um, with additional information about accept and and, um, and that vote. Those are two. Uh, All right. I just have one quick thing, if I might. Uh, super quick. Uh, Superintendent uh, Jakir, uh, earlier during the uh, special education uh, piece, you just kind of commented about the difficulty of hiring. Um, and just automatically, how it just brought me back to, to mm -hmm. last summer. Um, uh, at some point in the future, uh, once we kind of have a general idea about our retirement numbers, so we kind of you know have an idea about what the vacancy numbers might be, might be able just to kind of toss that out in a meeting, uh, and then talk about you know what uh, channels are we we doing to make sure that that's filled, so that we don't kind of encounter some of the similar, or we do our best sure. uh, to to fill. I know it's it's incredibly difficult. Um, don't usually do retirements in the spring. We do, and, and retirement's also a decision by the employee to notify us um, yeah. so it's rolling, so it's hard to necessarily pinpoint, but I understand the question, and um, we can work We can work together to Appreciate provide information. Thank you very much. Yep. Tonight, I'd like to bring up in the next meeting. Um, we received an email regarding getting a refund for um, lunch uh, payments, and I'm not sure what the historical policy was with the policy being active as it is now, but could we just kind of get some context as to why we don't give refunds after a student graduates if there are funds on their their account, and if it's over a certain amount, or, you know, it's just, like, what are our options versus just keeping the money? Yeah, we can do that. Thank you. Sorry, just making sure they all these down. Okay, all right, so, at this time, I would entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Is there a second? Second. Vote will come on the motion. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you, everyone. We'll see you again on January 24th. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley, the piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts 
Moore Franklin Matthews.